Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. I'm Todd McCartney, your host, and this is episode 61, Alien Encounter, part one. So get ready, there will be a part two, we'll explain a little bit about what we're doing and how we're going to split this up in the near future. Sitting in with me, as always, for this episode, uh, coming to us from Tampa, Mr. Hal Bowers. How are you doing tonight, Hal? Aloha, doing fine. We have a little bit of cooler weather here in the evenings, and it, it makes me ready to seize the near future. Do you know, it's 44 out here right now. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes. But it's, you know, it's funny you said it was cooler. That's good, because we're going to give our ESPN Sports Center update for the year on, uh, as Hal called it last year, the hockey. And... Um, Brian's Philadelphia Flyers and my Boston Bruins fell out early. There you go. <laughs> there he is from the city of brotherly love. And 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 how your your Tampa Bay Lightning are playing in the Stanley Cup Finals game one tonight. So that's congratulations. right. That's right because we're awesome. You are. You are a great. Team. We are. And coming into Ohio, Mr. JT Kuzier. How are you doing tonight, JT? I'm good. I'll give the basketball update if you'd like. Yeah, please. Um, it's, it's I did. Center. I don't know the number. I wish I knew right now because you caught me off guard. But um, there was a, a team that was that was doing really good in the the, the playoffs down in the bubble in mm-hmm. Disney World. They got bumped to the Grand Floridian. What a horrible tragedy. Oh, geez. Once they ended up at the Grand Floridian, they never won another game and got knocked out oh, of the playoffs. Oh, man. Wow. It's the, they it's had the Grand this, Floridian this, curse. This chi going, you know, with, uh, yeah. where, where they were. They were at Yacht and Beach. It was just going good. They were on a roll, and they moved, and that was it. So it's I know the Grand this is Flow curse. I know, but they're still plugging along down there. So That's right. That's, That's good. Uh, well, the Celtics are in it, and the the Cleveland's are they out? Or are they in? They they were never in, Todd. They've they were never in. Okay, this shows you how much it, I follow that. The now heat. I have a question as a as not a sports aficionado. Sure. Is it is it the Celtics, Celtics. or is it the Celtics? Celtics. 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 <laughs> they, they really right. shouldn't be in it because their team is just magically somehow coming together like well, the luck of the Irish. It's yeah, but they're still down another know. game. Yeah. Mr. Brian P. Miles, we mentioned your, you know, we've heard you a little bit. We mentioned your flyers bowing out. So, any other additional sports updates for you coming up? <clears> no sports updates here, right? No. <laughs> okay. We're just having a, a nice old time. It's the last day of, officially, last day of summer here, uh, last hours of summer as that's we're right. recording this. And Oh, my gosh. That's right. Really? Officially, we're in the, we're in the solstice. Solst- it is. Yeah. Tomorrow, I, that is my rule. Stuff. I won't put up oh. anything until summer is actually over. So, tomorrow I will uh, bust out. The little bit of Halloween decorations I have, and then the day after Halloween, they come down and Christmas well, I, stuff starts going up. It was a, it's appropriate now to have the Halloween candy. It, I was very disappointed in July when I went to a store and there was jun- <laughs> black mints, and yeah. orange Junior Mints in July. Well, That's pushing it. That's pushing. Wow. It. But anyway, 
This is not the candy podcast or the uh, complain old grumpy old men complaining about uh, how. No, early it's the grumpy old men complaining about how things aren't like they used to be at Walt Disney World anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's Speaking right. of which, yeah, let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. And with that, we have some comments and corrections. Uh, I'm going to kick it off here with. Uh, I'll tell you, we, we, we struck a chord with a number of people with our turnstiles, and you guys out there are super sleuths, because uh, Carla Carl uh, wrote into us and mentioned that the carousel progress was there. Uh, and then we had Joe Barlow wrote in, and the riverboat yes. has a turnstile, which is great. And uh, then we also had, let's see here, Christopher Browner, and um, this, who mentioned that the Swiss Family Treehouse also has them. And then Carla uh, wrote in again to us, and uh, she went back, and the Astro Orbiter has one. So I'll tell you, it, there's more than you think out there. And, and, I and not only did she tell us, she sent photographic she fo- evidence. Exactly. So we've got pictures. And of we the know the name of the company that makes the turnstiles now, because it's on the top. It's silver. Yeah. You know what I think we'll do? Maybe at Retro Magic 2020, <laughs> we'll have everybody go through a turnstile. Except don't go Could in behind Joe one? Barlow, because he'll lock it in place so that <laughs> you hurt yourself. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> what a move! <laughs> oh man, oh Joe's out there rolling, or, or he's got the fist up in the air for us. So, all right, um, we also had some Kugelball uh, fountain updates too. Some people uh, found one at their local mall in Detroit and sent us a photo of that, which is and the history great to of see. it. So, how the, how yeah, it changed yeah, over the years. And... Yep, there's just oodles of kugels. Yes. Oodles yeah. of kugels. So. So if you if you have one in your town, make sure you get a picture with it and send it to us. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so how you also last month uh, on our Tomorrowland episode also talked a little bit about um, these palm trees that we're supposed to, you know, supposedly fold up at night or open yes. up when the sun. And you did some digging, and, and what did what'd you find out? So I went back. I We actually did a little texting back and forth with Defunct Land talking about this because he's he's doing some prep work on a – well, I don't want to spoil anything. He's, do, he's working on a project that's going to involve that. Right. And, uh, you know, and he had found some evidence that the manufacturer of the palm trees, because there's you know, a bunch of local companies that make that stuff. Disney doesn't make everything. Mm-hmm. They contracted out. The, on the manufacturer's website, it said it was designed to be retractable in inclement weather. So I guess if you had a hurricane or something, they could – suck them up and make it go away so so that was one thing so it almost sounds like that was what we would call in the in the software industry cots commercial off the shelf right yeah well was it made for disney or it was it was was, was, okay so it wasn't something that that they were already making already right okay now jt you you have a story that i believe that you told me about the palm trees that that you had learned somewhere with the coconuts yes well i i didn't confirm this after but uh i read that the one that's shrunk down that's what's the word um limp. we'll just call it retracted retracted yeah. it or doesn't limp. have uh the, the coconuts ar- around it the around the base because it used them up i like think those they call were... that neutered yeah it's, it's so neutered this so the story behind that is that that story is that the coconuts actually collect power those palm trees are power collectors and when the coconuts are taken away to provide power for the Tomorrowland Power and Light Company, then the thing is... So that's supposed to be as if the coconuts were... Har- the, the nuts were harvested for their energy. 
Um, and then there's yet another story that I believe is from, and I'm going to slaughter the poor man's name because Paul Osterhot, who I think is the was the producer of New Tomorrowland at that time. He said that the reason that one of them is like that is because it's supposed to show how the technology is not perfect. So, um, so what's interesting is there's six of these trees and I actually went back through my photo collection, which are, which I'm still in the process of preparing to send to Todd. I was going to, and then I realized, oh my gosh, I know that there's more photos of alien encounter that I have that I, so I dug those out. And after this show is recorded, I will pack it all up to Todd to scan and we can put it on the site. I actually have, uh, a time lapse of those uh, trees be- being installed starting in July, I think uh, 93 going through the next year. And what's funny is I've got, there are six of them. They form kind of a semicircle or an arc as you approach Space Mountain. And, and I have it where the first three are installed with their tops and the next three uh, are just the sticks without the tops on them. Then the next picture I have is in, uh, I think, November of the year. And the that one that is retracted was built retracted. And then later on, I have another photo of, of I think, like the summertime of the next year. And it's still retracted. And it's, it's been in that retracted position ever since. Now, what's interesting, it's not just retracted. As, as we talked about, the coconuts are gone. But there's actually like a whole another piece on top of the... The other palm tree is like a silver piece on the top with additional green leaves. So it's almost as if an entire huh. section wasn't put on there. So it's it's not just the one thing brought in. It's pieces are missing or it's different in some way. I, so, I think I might know the reason. Okay. It's because they figured out that harnessing laughter could produce enough energy for Tomorrowland. <laughs> so they don't have to harvest oh. coconuts. See? So... I mean, I guess we will never, we may never know what the truth of it is, Yeah. but who, who knows? Maybe they busted one of them during installation and decided to change the story. Um, they did, the coconuts did glow green at night mm-hmm. and there were, I think, a, some other little lighting on it. So there was like a, in this, if you picture, if, if the coconut, if you picture is sort of like a silver oblong ball, there was a center part that had a green light in it. So, um, so I don't know what, the, no one knows what the deal is for sure. There's, but there's three stories around it and it, it, it sure never opened and closed now, anytime. Do your pictures debunk the moving show? You know how people said they were supposed to move and retract. Did you see any mechanisms inside or anything? No. Nothing. No. They're, they are, now, they are kind of held up by cables. Yeah. So, in theory, if there was a motor in there, it could cable up and down. But it's it certainly never moved. Mm-hmm. It, and there was, I think, part of that story was that they would retract at nighttime. Because the sun was out, as with the power collecting, yeah, I think that's a load. So, well, all right, I doubt it. So that's what I know about go. that. That's all I got to say about that. So Thanks. anybody that is in the park while you're listening to this or around this time, send us a picture standing next to those trees. Just post it on Twitter. Tag us. I want to see these these palm trees. There we go. And JT, I'm going to pass it over to you for a listener mail. Oh, sweet. Well, we've got a good mailbag this month. Lots of Tomorrowland stuff. uh, Lots of potpourri, we'll say. The first one I have here, uh, this is from Downey Edward. He says, uh, am I crazy? Yes. Or did the contemporary... (laughs) Am I crazy or does Jerry not wear glasses? Uh, 
Am I crazy or did the contemporary have a talking elevator in the 80s? Who wants to confirm or uh, debunk that one? I, I remember the talking elevator. It was in a, yeah, totally. All of them? Like going, all the banks talked? Up. Or just, yeah, like, you would you'd yeah. step in, going up. So, and... so a, a trend of the, I guess with the development of uh, audio chips in the 80s, uh, there was a trend to make a lot of things talk. Cars, famously. In oh, fact, the, the Chrysler New Yorker. You, right. And if you see, I, I don't know if it's Eddie Murphy Raw or Eddie Murphy Delirious, where he's like, a, ding, lights are on. You know, like it's a, that was the kind of stuff that they would do to the cars. His routine's funnier about it. My grandfather had a Chrysler New Yorker. We never, because it would say, a door is a yes. jar, not open. Yes. And we're like, a door is not a jar. Yes. A door is a door. You know, and it was. A door is a jar. Thank you. High-end GM models that did it too, uh, like the Oldsmobile 98 yeah. and things like that. Yeah, there were talking Coke machines where you would like, yeah, it was so hokey. It put a, there was one on the Ocean City Boardwalk. I remember it was the late 80s probably, but you, you'd put your 50 cents in and it would start playing the song and be like, you know, make your selection. And uh, <laughs> There are vending machines that talk. Hi, I'm a talking vending machine for Coca-Cola. I invite you to try Diet Coke. Make your selection, please. <laughs> well, look, War Games did that, right? That was a big thing in War Games. They got the computer Shall we to talk. play a game? Yeah. yeah. And it even made it to commercials. There was a commercial for, for uh, Alaska Airlines, and it was your talking baggage agent, and, and I mean, predicting the future that you wouldn't have to talk to anybody, and it... it Instead of taking his luggage, it strips his clothes right. off as he's trying to check into his flight, and it's talking to him. It's it's great. Have you ever wondered just what flying is coming to? Hi, I'm your talking ticket. Oh. Do you have baggage? Oh, yes. Hi, I'm your talking ticket. Do you have baggage? I don't have any baggage. That was a big thing. So it, it, it always made you... Anybody who was trying to project like, hey, we're futuristic, or this is the future, or we're with the times... Uh, something that shouldn't talk to you talked and and the elevator at the contemporary was one of those things now it has in an elevator application it has obvious benefits for people that are disabled so that way or it tells people you who just don't pay you. attention right so it tells you that's which is actually i've seen more yes. of that <laughs> that's an everyday occurrence floor. there so at least you know where you're where you're at yep that's right if you're not paying attention, and you may you, you may that. see them now every now and then in big cities, uh, you see the ones at crosswalks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where for for uh, blind people, where it'll yeah. either do a bird chirp and talk, or just mm. like you know the light is green, you know, fifteen seconds, that kind of stuff. The uh, the elevators at Tampa International Airport all talk. Oh, there we go. So it's still so maybe it's larger public spaces now. Okay, next up, uh, Keith Groshens. Uh, Keith says, I really enjoy listening to the show. The wealth of knowledge is incredible. The main me- reason for writing is that I smile a little whenever you bring up the burn bombs guides and say that you <laughs> use them for research. Here's why, Todd. Keith was the art director for those books for a few years. It was oh, early so cool. on in his career, and while the design may not have been groundbreaking, they were a lot of fun to be part of. While we worked on them in New York... Uh, one of the perks was we were annual pass holders for both Disney World and Disneyland, and they went on quote-unquote research chips, trips on the company's dime. Back then, we produced the four editions, WDW Guide, WDW for Kids, WDW for Adults, and Disneyland's Main Guide. 
Uh, the biggest highlight of his time there was seeing the books with his name in them on the shelves of Disney World and his local Disney store. So uh, he says, it's great to hear from you guys referencing them, and uh, the internet has made planning much different, and guidebooks somewhat of retro things themselves. So he's looking forward to this episode. So thanks, Keith. We appreciate that. Yeah. How awesome. cool. That's what a pretty. cool job. That is really neat. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if this will be answered on the show, uh, but this is from Andy, and it's about Alien Encounter. She says, I'm writing because my mom has always said she hurt her neck on Alien Encounter. She has said something about the restraints coming down too hard on her, and that she, she ultimately had a slip disc in her neck because of that. Do you Holy know cow. anything about accounts of people getting hurt from the restraints coming down too hard? This was in 2000, so maybe the restraints needed some work. Anybody know of anybody getting injured? or is that we could just... give her the name of the law firm Morgan & Morgan. <laughs> have you been hurt on alien encounter we're working for you that you know what i'm gonna say plausible yeah well they, sure. they would come down just a smidge hard and then they would go beep and bump back yep. up an inch or two like off your neck yeah. and, but if you and, if you had your head tilted the wrong way that thing could have hit you on the head and compressed you <laughs> it slipped a disc <laughs> yeah i mean uh, yeah, well, I, I I hate to say that you're probably out of the statute of limitations at this point. So uh, so if anybody's been injured, yeah. let us know. We'll we'll add it to the the mailbag, and you know maybe next month we'll have a yeah. whole whole all the mailbag will be injuries reading it. How what happened? If, if nothing else, though, we should definitely do one of those late night infomercials. <laughs> yeah. Of, have you been injured by a Disney attraction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's okay. Thanks, Andy, and we hope your mom's okay. Next up, uh, Bill Heinrich wrote us. He says he was in the college program in the fall of '94. It was during the construction, programming, and opening of Tomorrow 94, uh, Tomorrowland 94 attractions. Being a Disney nerd, he made sure to poke around the work sites, talk to Imagineers, and of course devour and keep any kind of written material he could find. He didn't realize he was collecting uh, ephemera all those years ago. Anyway, the Magic Kingdom Utilidor during the weeks leading up to Alien Encounter... There's flyers left out weekly to help cast members get up to speed on the attractions, its backstory, and characters. Of course, he grabbed a couple copies each week, and he's kept them all these years. And these are great. They're basically like if you type something up in Word, threw a, uh, a piece of clip art or two on there, and printed them out and just left them out. I just imagine them littering the Utilidors around Tomorrowland. <laughs> uh, you know, just like crazy. Uh, one of those posts in France with all the things on it. Um he, you know, they say everything from info about excess tech to things about uh, a small demonstration of the Series 1000 teleportation system, and just they're, they're little flyers. We'll put them on the show notes here. Um, he sent probably about nine of them, but they're pretty cool. So thank you, Bill. Uh, very, very cool, and that's neat. You saved those. I do like. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna we are gonna reference those during the show. Oh, so we are. okay. Yeah, sure for sure because there's some good stuff in there. I, I like the clench is watching with the eyes. It says it's yeah. just a little logo. It says clench is watching, and then have you seized the future? Like if not, you better do it. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, and this has been a great month. Lots to choose from. This is from Neuro. Neuro touches base with us about Epcot, and we've heard this one before, but I thought it was a good one. Uh, what people ask, what does Epcot stands for? Obviously we have the one, every person comes out tired and, uh, the other one, which is pretty funny and not heard as often, uh, Eisner's polyester clothes of torture. So I don't know. He says, obviously Eisner didn't have much to say about Epcot costuming, but it makes him chuckle to this day. So thanks for the, uh, the little note there, Neuro. 
appreciate it. And uh, he was an Epcot employee around 2001. So uh, good to hear from you. That is all we have in the mailbag or time for this month. If you'd like to end up on the show, write us a note, uh, podcast at retrowdw.com. Email, Twitter, uh, anywhere you can get a hold of us, uh, we can potentially get you on the show with your note, uh, story, or media, whatever you have. Or if you really want to be on the show, check out our donation list, right? One of our top tier donations will actually get you to sit in a seat on a future episode. That is a true. A couple, couple people we're, that have done that, we're going to reach out to them and get and them scheduled up. I so. think one of the, the big things with that is you get to pick the show. We don't just yeah. do golf resort and say, you better be on or that's it. You can pick the Tell show. You, you want can to even, do. Uh, you know, participate. You don't just have to sit there like Silent Rob, you know? Yep. You can go. Yep. We got somebody coming in to help us out with Magic Journeys. So, mm-hmm. it be great. All right. Well, thank you, JT. Um, all right, gentlemen, it is time for this month's Audio Rewind and how we... You reached into your audio bag. I don't know. Is it a bag, a box? How do you store these? I have a, um, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a Ziploc. Oh, no, no. okay. A, uh, Picture reel to reel. He's he's back there spinning. Well, I'm thinking yeah. where he stores all this. Is it a safe? Where do I put chest? this stuff? I yeah. don't know. I need some, usually it's just somewhere in a pile on the floor. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah. he's moved to the digital age. Brian's right. digitalized. No, it's, a, it's a digital pile. Yeah, yeah. It's just a bunch of ones and zeros thrown it's into it. It's just kind pile. of over there. Yeah. I yeah. ask I write a program that goes into a tank and then the tank drives <laughs> around and then eventually it finds the one I'm looking for and then it programs a big it track. Me, Remember the big track Excel? Oh, <laughs> big track. Oh my oh, gosh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I had a a command control Dotson that you would program. You lift up the hood and they had the had same a keypad kind of keypad as Big Track. Was, yeah. was it the same thing? Okay, probably. Yeah. Uh, but my the Big Track XL, and then about ten years ago, I think it was what's the Geek site, the site that sells all the Think Geek. Think Geek. Yeah, Think Geek made a, uh, a a miniature, not miniature, like a a normal sized replica of the Big Track XL, and my friends got it for me for Christmas, and it, I, I would dig it out about once a year, and then a couple of years back it just ceased working so that it was it's not the oh, man I, it's not really a shop no. i can send it to so it it, it went out yeah. went out in the trash but it was kind of cool <laughs> i mean you know i'd sit there and program the thing it was, it was when are those fun. guys gonna make a seco yeah there we go. that's what we need that makes a not, great birthday idea. gift that's right that's right <laughs> see what you did there. happy birthday Polly. <laughs> all right well it's time to move over to the last month's audio rewind so let's take a listen to last month's audio rewind All right, we did have a winner, uh, Chuck Jordan, and the correct guess is that that was from the song Music Makers by Esquivel, and it was used in the exit queue from Space Mountain. So I'm how, sorry anything? if you guys never went on Space Mountain during the Federal Express years and didn't get to hear that. So uh, I can tell you how you only you stumped a lot of people, and it certainly wasn't our highest number record number of coming. All right, so we'll, we'll make this one a tap tad more accessible fair enough and brian you've got a prize for this month too i I do and it comes to us uh actually from our friends uh jim and denise at the delaware magical wishes association and those folks uh started a fundraising a nonprofit uh about eight years ago and they raise money for give kids the world village uh they have events uh once or twice a year down there in delaware uh my neighbor to the to the south uh, and, uh, their prize closet, their auction closet was overflowing. Uh, 
So on a trip up to the Ikea, not far from me, uh, they said, can we meet up with you? And so I did a few uh, weeks ago, and they had a tote full of uh, auction overruns and stuff for us to give away. So tonight's uh, prize pack comes uh, from Jim and Denise at the Delaware Magical Wishes Association. You can find them on the web at DelawareMagicalWishes.org. And uh, once the uh, socialization is allowed again, uh, I'm going to make it a point to get to their next auction and see a lot of uh, fellow Disney lovers and, uh, you know, check it out. Uh, but this month's prize is very coveted. Uh, 2016 attraction poster calendar. It's large-sized. These are very popular. So if you know friends who are into Disney for the last five years, a lot of them have taken these monthly calendar images and framed them. They are 12, or actually 16, original attraction poster images from Adventureland and Frontierland. Uh, so there's some current attractions, some former attractions. There's a lot of great artwork in there. So that is what is getting sent out. And that can be yours if you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind. All right. If you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, send your guesses to contest at retrowdw.com. All correct entries will be entered into a random drawing to pick the winner. All entries must be received by October 12, 2020. Welcome to the universe of XS. You're about to experience the latest scientific wonder brought to you by XS Tech. All right, well, it is time to get into this month's main topic. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, and uh, the episode title is Alien Encounter Part 1. So, as we mentioned, we will be doing this in two parts. Uh, tonight, uh, as we record, we're going to be talking a little bit of the history, but more so a walk through the attraction, talking about some of its merchandise, um, different things that went along with it, the casting. And then um, we're going to get a, a special guest on, and we're going to talk more in depth in part two about the behind the scenes of putting Alien Encounter together, and also some of the stories um, and rumors that are out there. You know, the Eisner thought it was too loud. Eisner thought it wasn't scary enough. Eisner didn't like it. Eisner thought it was too light, too much lighting and not enough lighting. And yeah, but somebody died of a heart. It was so scary. Somebody died of a heart right, attack. Right. And there's so they had to make it less scary. <laughs> and how caution be and cautioned all of us. There's a lot of crap out there. And then we want to make sure that we get you the, the correct story. So um, we're going to the source of the truth uh, for some of this. And it's going to take us a little more time. But um, how's going to lead us through here? I've got a number of newspaper articles. I've got some technical information about uh, the, the attraction itself. I'd like to go through. JT, you did some research on um, uh, not only uh, some of the, some of the merchandise things that you found. I found some. I want to talk about a crazy TV special and some of the commercials. And of course, he's no longer with us. But Regis Philbin even did a little bit for Alien Encounter that we can oh, share with Regis. you guys. Too. Yes, Regis. Aww. So, um, so I didn't know. I didn't even realize he did that bit. I knew he did the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror bit, but this was another one that he did. So. Anyway, without further ado, it's Alien Encounter, so uh, turn off your lights, close your eyes, and we're going to, about to take you on a binaural journey, and how is on the left, how is how on did, the right? Yeah, why didn't we record this, This, this uh, we should have recorded this episode binaurally, for sure. We need, like, extra microphones, and we'd all just, have to have just, the head in just our Just keep, 
I'll just doing the balance back switch. and forth between yeah, left and right. True. Yeah, well, oh. I'll you know what? Maybe I can do a special Dolby Atmos mix. Oh, there we for, go for this one. Then you're doing the editing. On it's all yeah. on you. <laughs> so. all, all right. right. Well, with that, how to lead us down the primrose path of the sure. journey. So, Mission to Mars uh, at the Magic Kingdom closed on October fourth in nineteen ninety three. Uh, so a lot of us remember that. Uh, it was not. The greatest attraction, certainly by 1993. So it was certainly time for it to go. And uh, during that downtime, uh, the entire concourse, you know, this is this is when Tomorrowland was under major construction. So the whole concourse walkway there from the hub all the way up to the wedway was blocked off and, and actually ripped the whole front fascia off of that building. Uh, and all those glass walls that were on there were totally, totally gone. So then slowly, as, you know, parts of New Tomorrowland open up, you could start to see work being done on the outside of the attraction. And you could ride the people mover for a long time. So you can start to see stuff um, like, you know, them changing the doors out front. Um, by October 94, guests were allowed to actually access the new promenade walkway. And you could finally get a look at the new walls, which were installed with these three giant kind of porthole style windows. And a big entranceway with giant oversized silver metal doors. Um, really ruined the old feel. It was so, the old one was, we, we never did a show on America the Beautiful. I mean, uh, no, we did a show on Mission to Mars, but I was recently going through some of the old footage and stuff. And it was just, it was so open with the windows before. And this oh, really, yeah, really definitely. pulled you in and, and, and probably purposeful for what we were doing. And it was a convention center after all. Right, so. right. And, you know, they wanted to change the tone of it. So I, I certainly understand that. And, you know, light is probably not. It, they didn't want it to be light and area. They probably wanted it to be a little dark and foreboding. So, you know, that worked. And uh, they actually added a bunch of concrete barriers outside to introduce new crowd control patterns for an, extent, for an extended queue. As well as a ton of stanchions and chains. And, and at least on one side, they rerouted the, the one exit. So that it would go next to the gift shop. They couldn't get it to go into the gift shop, but they could at least get it to come out next to the gift shop. Um, Close enough. Good enough. Which is important because there was a lot of merchandise made for that. So they, it certainly seemed like Disney was anticipating that this new show was going to be very busy and very popular. Um, Some of the stories were that they, they were anticipating this along the lines of, of like what Star Tours bought them, right? Sure. There was a lot of pomp and circumstance around Star Tours. It was a, a new way of experiencing attraction so was this this was the first real kind of binaural sound sensory attraction that was ever Mm -hmm. created so i think they were expecting to get that same oomph because star tours was uh, still is a success yeah well certainly i mean there's documentation in newspapers that for the first at least you know two three weeks when it was open it had a two-hour wait so it was popular right off the bat and so the messaging and the, the commercials we'll talk about later, they certainly did their job. Yeah. I mean, there was there was a lot of hype <laughs> lead, leading up to this. So um, it was it was, a, I think, a success, at, at least uh, at least when people hadn't seen it yet, right out of the gate. <laughs> and, and placement to me, it was right. At least that's we'd always enter Tomorrowland through you know right there that way mm-hmm. it was right there i mean if you walked into new tomorrowland oh what is there to do here boom first thing on you could do timekeeper on your right 
or I mean, come on, alien encounter on your left. I, I don't, I, I chose alien encounter all the time. Sure. Now, the one. now, how old were you at the time? Do you recall JT? <sighs> uh, 12. Okay. So, <clears throat> so what I will say as we go through this, I really think that teenage kind of like 12 to 16 is really the sweet spot for this attraction. It was perfect, which is a, a little bit different. Um, but, you know, Brian has talked about this before, about how, how um, during this time period, you know, they were acutely aware of, of Universal and, and its effect on things. And interestingly enough, I found an article today saying that in that year, before they debuted this, um, Magic Kingdom was actually down 3.5% from attendance, while Universal was up 4%. So I think they saw the shift in markets uh and they needed something that was a little bit more thrilling and a little bit more to fit into that well, team market because the magic king at that point was you know princesses and fairies right. and, and, and a big and a big change was the i mean you could argue that it started with uh the matterhorn but there was an attempt to make thrilling rides that would give you a a, a thrill but there was never an intention to scare you even the haunted mansion wasn't scary uh, for anyone but the most sensitive of dispositions. Uh, yes. It was intended to be whimsical for the most part. And this was, the you know, Universal was making, you know, you might die because King Kong's going to grab you <laughs> uh, and Jaws is going to eat you. And, you know, and so they felt like they needed to step it up a notch. And this, I'll say, too, at that time, it's, Funny you threw those numbers out there. We, we're, even to this day, I mean, I've been to Universal two, three times at most. I mean, we go to Disney, we stay on property, we usually don't leave. But those were the years where we kind of looked that way towards Universal. Like we went because I loved Back to the Future and I really wanted to ride that ride. Or, you know, Jaws a little bit, but definitely seeing the movies, the attractions, the thrilling things. And then, yeah. you know... Magic Kingdom, well, I hit Space Mountain. That's pretty thrilling. And, you know, maybe Splash Mountain was cool, but they were still singing on it. It wasn't like, you know, thrilling like Back to the Future. <laughs> well, so J- this JT, was, go ahead. I think you hit on one of the big things. I'm sure we're going to talk about this in, number, in episode two when we, you know, there's there was all this histor- history and, and thought that it was going to be alien for Nostromo. And they wanted to bring in, um, you know, an actual uh, intellectual property, you know, and, and we're going to get in the details. But. You being what you just said at your age, you wanted to see Back to the Future and Terminator and all whatever Terminator was later, but whatever those other ones were. Sure. Cause, um, and yeah, I think that's part of the importance. So I think it became very hard for them to do the draw that they, they get. And well, that was part of the challenge, I think. You know, and the other thing with that is we you have to think this is pre-internet. And I mean, when I rolled up in I, Mar- it was March of 95. So I saw, you know, a year after it opened. I didn't even know it was going to be there. There was no internet really to for me to, to know what was coming. We walked in. I didn't even know Tomorrowland was new. Wow, what is this? And wait, Alien Encounter. My first thought was it was the the alien from Alien. Like I was thinking that the whole the whole time, you know, until you saw it. You're like, oh, I guess it's not. But you so know. so I, I I mean, I guess I'll sprinkle this in. But I talked to Rob because we were there in January of '95 when it opened. Uh, so we saw version numero uno before it <laughs> before it was shelved for for reworking. And that was the point JT just made was was one that Rob made was that there was really no Internet. Burnbaum was going to the degree they mentioned it at all in what would have been the new 95 guide. 
they wouldn't have seen the attraction. It would have been based off of what Disney's PR told them, which we have. Uh, so you were kind of, we wandered into it not knowing what it was, having really no idea what to expect, which amped up that first experience and how scary it could be. Well, yeah, I just know, too, Mission to Mars, I, I did, don't think I ever did that up to that point. I mean, because it was just an old ride and we skipped it. I didn't even know it was going to be a circle theater. I really had no idea yeah. what this was, except aliens were involved. It seems a little sketchy, and I'm excited because I'm 12. <laughs> and and may, maybe this was the core problem that we just hit it on. We just talked about two attractions, right? We had Timekeeper. They did, people didn't even know what the hell that was when it first started. Mm-hmm. You had Alien Encounter. People didn't know it. You've got two attractions across the street from each other seconds away, and people didn't even know what they were, what the pull was. So it's quite an interesting challenge i mean people mover you can see it space mountain had i don't want to call it a legacy or classic by that point but it had been there long enough where people knew what space mountain was and yeah and we actually talked on our space mountain episode about how people didn't know what space mountain was and old ladies were going on it with no idea that it was a roller coaster and then finally they had to put those astronauts inside of the car that one whipped me around to give some kind of indication that it was in fact a roller coaster because nobody knew and this is actually still a problem to this day especially as uh, places like Disney Springs try to get into this gentrification motif where they take, oh, this is an old airport, but now it's an Italian restaurant. Well, how in the hell is anybody supposed to know that there's an Italian restaurant inside? It doesn't look like an Italian restaurant. Grandma's going through a jungle track before she knows she's plumbing down water in Africa and pulls her back out, right? Yeah, so <laughs> we had. So it is, a, it is an interesting thing to do the like, oh, it's this thing, but it's really this. Telegraphing a little bit of what is inside your attraction is probably still important. We had that experience in Disneyland Paris. Uh, my friend who was with me uh, does not ride looping coasters. And we got on Space Mountain there uh, n- not knowing that there, there's a loop in there. And uh, <laughs> he, he came out, you know, in one piece, but he was very shaken up by it. Know before you go. Yes. I guess that's the. Uh... <laughs> All right. So uh, during the weeks preceding the opening, cast members were given handout sheets to familiarize themselves with the stories and the characters. That's what Bill Heinrich gave us. And thank you, Bill, for holding on to those for 26 years and scanning them for us. Because I will be referencing them because they contain some some names and some facts that have been lost to time until tonight. So this is kind of exciting. We get to like reacquaint the world with some stuff that nobody knows about on the Internet. So, uh, except for him and now us. So... Um, The show story begins outside of the Tomorrowland Interplanetary Convention Center, which is the new name of the Mission to Mars building. So as you remember, a lot of the new Tomorrowland things kind of picked up new names, like the Timekeeper was inside of the Metropolis Science Center. And, you know, this this building became the Interplanetary Convention Center. So there's kind of like a layer of story here, which was a really big thing in the early 90s, is to kind of throw as much story in as possible. Um... At the end of the building's exterior, facing the people mover, there was a giant teleportation transmission tower on the roof. Now, did any of you guys pick up on, like, that was supposed to be added onto the architecture, like it wasn't part of it initially? That was the yellow weird thing that was on the roof. Was it yellow and kind of... What part? So the there's like a, there was a big yellow tower at the end with like a glass ball on it that would light up. 
Oh, tacked on top of like the corner there at Alien and Yeah, did that? It was supposed to feel as if that was an alien thing that was kind of tacked onto the building. I didn't. Oh, like almost like just for the convention, we're gonna pop put this on and exactly. So to me, it matched the rest of it. I didn't really feel like that was. I wasn't obvious to me. I would say that that was supposed to be specially added for this. Well, it's weird because it was farther down. You didn't necessarily see it if you hooked a hard left into the right the queue there. Yeah, I, th- I think it just matched okay. the decor yeah. of everything else, too. Um, it, too and much. it was pretty. Every few minutes, the tower would actually pulse with light, like it was either sending or receiving a transmission, which was really super noticeable at night, even amongst all the neon from New Tomorrowland. Um, there was a metal banner below that tower that was promoting excess tech, now on Earth to present excess technology to seize the future. Um, and then below that is kind of this mechanism... Uh, into this so there was a manhole cover with the logo of the tomorrowland department of energy kind of moved out of place to expose the hole and then there was this like 15 foot tall alien device it looks kind of like a combination of power coupling and a data transmission line coming out of the hole and then there were cables going up into the transmission tower so you're trying to get the idea that like this thing was kind of jacked into you know the tomorrowland system uh, added on in order to make this go. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny how I, I, I'm looking at some pictures now on our site, and it's like, okay, the big yellow tower. And I think the problem is that you had all this other motif in, in the area that was also yellow, so it just felt like it just blended, yeah. blended in. It just it didn't, did. The, the color get, matched the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you never got the feeling. I never did until you mentioned it now that it's like, oh, we tacked this on to beam you know it was the antenna to do what you were about to see and that right. just never yeah i it, it's interesting i'll send you guys these yeah, i'm uh, looking at two it. Pa- here part, part of the problem too with that alley is that it is difficult to pull details in because mm. you're it's like calcutta at rush hour you're always like yeah making your way through there with a bajillion people because it's very narrow what what are you looking at too? The Astro Orbiter. That's gonna... right, right. That's 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 the weenie there. So yeah, you're not you're not. And when you're going in the queue, you're not looking up and oh look at that, you know. Oh, yeah, look you... at that transporter there. The... And, <laughs> that's how they're gonna beam us. You almost need to be coming around. Well, you do. You need to be coming around from the other side to really right. get any, yeah. any appreciation. And, and you remember for at this, this time too was when they had those little things we talked about last month, like the spaceship and all you could sit in. So there was just there was a thousand things to distract you. Including right. the cast member trying to get you to come into Timekeeper because everybody was watching. <laughs> yeah, by yeah. It. Well, and, and, and Google you, Ball. You know what? Too the architecture was so severely dismantled. I will say, even though it wasn't dismantled, but the architecture and the lines were dismantled. So your sight lines were all gobbled up with other gunk and things hanging off too. So nothing, even to this day, you just don't get a straight shot of seeing anything. You're always it's a, always an obscured view. Yeah. So I'll just I. This picture will come to us, but here's a little picture of the detail of the tower. How documenting the tower and everything. And then uh, here's the uh, here's the manhole cover. There it is. Oh yes, and oh, it had a, a guard around it. I yeah. see that. Yeah, that was. Yeah, you couldn't. Well, so you that wouldn't way want you'd... to fall in the hole. You know, you'd fall down. <laughs> right. Here's the dog that tried to bite me. Yeah. Here's the here's the hotel I stayed in. <laughs> that's that's from Fletch. There's a Fletch reference for you. <laughs> So what was kind of neat is on out on the outside of the device were these sort of like hy- hyro not hieroglyphics but like these glyph symbols 
And uh, our, our friend Michael Crawford, Progress City USA, actually managed to save a sheet that must have been handed out the time, revealing the translation of them. And they were Microsoft wingdings. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out it was a safety warning that oh. more or less translated to, attention, official notice to you, use of this device while unprotected by safety gear causes electrical hazard. And then the right side was, warranty regarding electric shock to operators is void if the device is misused. Hmm. So it's a nice little piece of lore there, I guess, that nobody would really know about or care about. Um, we care how. We care. Yeah, we care. We care. Uh, now, this device and the banners outside are kind of our first introduction to a visual style that the Imagineers dubbed Alien Deco. Um, which you'll see more inside. So it was supposed to be a combination of like art deco and alien stuff. Um, and along with the excess tech banners, which use a custom typeface made for the attraction. I don't know how many attractions got custom typefaces yeah. made for them, hmm. but it got one. Um, there's a second sign that was attached to the outside of the structure that had the attractions true and super long name, which was the Extra Terrorestrial. Oh. Ooh, I see what you did there. Alien Encounter. And then on the bottom of that was this descriptor, a sensory thriller from Disney and George Lucas. Can you imagine uh, just running around the park? I want to go to extraterrestrial alien. Just too much. It's a mouthful. It is. It is. But then again, that's, so maybe that set the precedent for all the really super long names that they have today. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Of everything. You know, even Space Mountain was called Space Mountain, a journey through space and time. For some reason, I was yeah, on the. I'm telling side. you, they they were going George Lucas. They were trying to get the ET crowd with extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial. Sure. Oh, I mean, they that, were trying to get a different crowd. We're going to talk about too. And I th <laughs> and I think you actually have nailed something because they they talked about one of the difficulty of doing this new kind of show, which we we haven't even talked about because we'll get into the. It's just trying to explain to people what in the world is this thing. So. You're right. Using calling the idea of calling it a sensory thriller since it wasn't a ride was they had to come up with a new terminology for that and definitely playing the George Lucas card. Yeah. Even though he was not super involved, like would definitely be a draw to get people in there. Um, the cast member previews were on December 16th and 17th, 1994 from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then the show opened uh, to the public on the following Monday for its official soft opening. Um, so let's take a walk into Alien Encounter during its first version, which would only stay open until January 12th, 1995. And how we're, we're not going to go into the true reasons, right? We're going to save that for... We'll save that. Save we'll, that we'll for just, next episode. But we just... All we know is that Michael Eisner and possibly a few other stars who were also in town for the opening of Planet Hollywood <laughs> right. at Pleasure Island went over and experienced it and then had some had some feedback for them on, on the 17th. So... Uh, so I'll, I don't know. At this point, I don't know if anyone's ridden Mission to Mars. But if you rode Mission to Mars, you, well, you I wouldn't say into, you rode it. You yeah, you sat it. through it. <laughs> you sat in it. <laughs> well, when you entered, you know, when you entered the the room, there was a big room. There was just like kind of like a generic holding room. It had painted walls with multiple, you know, hot colors, and uh, th this had the same thing. You walked in, and it was kind of the same. Kind of large generic and, and that room. did open as flight to the moon right wasn't that the first yes. attraction there mm -hmm. yep that was the first one that's the one we have the picture it's the big glass doors and it looks like a breezeway at a mall basically right the, yes when you, mm -hmm. okay got it so so you, you'd come in and then there were two kind of identical signs on the wall uh which were actually taken sort of from a graphic in the videos that we'll talk about in a second 
And, and they showed you the six divisions of excess technologies, which is techno surveillance, genetic engineering, electro robotics, cryo cybernetics, which I guess like maybe that could be your frozen walled head, uh, planetary restructuring, and hyper transport. So those definitely sound kind of spooky, especially the techno surveillance and the genetic engineering. So it seems like something perhaps a little fishy is going on. Uh, on the left side, sort of facing those windows, which were covered with a film so that way the light didn't come in too brightly, but you could kind of see people shuffling past, uh, were these were big TVs in kind of these retro futuristic cases. And uh, in, inside of that, yeah, they're humongous. Yeah. They're... <laughs> well, I mean, that was the era too. You'd Anytime there was a weight like Cedar Point, Geauga Lake, any of these where they did put the TV, it was in, you know, a big tube TV in the big case. Right. And just imagine this is a tube TV with, you know, big bubbly plastic and stuff around it. So it, it kind of looked like you knew it was a TV, but it wasn't type thing. Yeah. I think there were probably some, some like those Jetson like things that's poking off the side just to make it look kind of spacey and probably the logo from the Tomorrowland Interplanetary Convention Center on it. So, um, so while you were waiting, you would put up these cards and they had kind of like some more of the world building type stuff. Like they would mention the lead, the league of planets and was having an interstellar debate on space science mission to Mars history or hoax with professor Tom Morrow. So a little nod oh, Easter egg yeah. to mission yep. to Mars and, and flight to the moon. Uh, there was one about the Walt Disney company, pan galactic stockholders meeting featuring holographic transmissions from lunar Disneyland, which is the happiest place off earth. So there's a little <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's very punny. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I won't even do the space pet one because that is not. We don't need to do that. But well, um, even we talked about tomorrow. I mean, it was that way when you learned the people mover, right? The the, the Tomorrowland Transit yeah, Authority. Yeah, and, very... and in Space Mountain too, there were tons of of you know puns and humor uh, in that SMTV uh, loop that ran in there. So, um, and according to former cast member Derek Santinello, there there may have been a few additional screens that only ran when the attraction was running at half capacity yeah. with one. Uh, so that, that's, here's our hunt. It's like, everybody find out, somebody go find out what the other screens are that, that we don't know about. So after these ads, then, then there's a pre-show video that actually finally introduces us all to excess technology. And the presentation starts with, uh, model Tyra Banks in full green skinned alien makeup. And what's neat is they, they shot her head on and, and as she ends her line, her head makes this tilt kind of to the side and then you can see kind of like this enlarged alien cranium so it's makes makes it real evident real quick like oh okay these are these are aliens and they're kind of different from us which is pretty cool um she tells us a little bit more about the history of excess uh before introducing excess's leader chairman elsie clench who is played i think magnificently uh, scummy is particularly by Jeffrey Jones, who was the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and the father in Beetlejuice. And he goes on to tell us how Earth was discovered by one of Excess's market research probes. Uh, and, and then he delivers uh, some pretty unforgettable lines, uh, painting his company perhaps as something less than totally, totally benevolent. I know some critics have implied that we are interested in the Earth solely for commercial reasons, for profit. But I believe we have an important obligation to help less fortunate planets upgrade their technologies. Profit is simply a byproduct we've learned to live with. 
At the video's conclusion, an unseen voice tells us that the automatic doors ahead of us will open and we're to move on to the next demonstration area. Ladies and gentlemen, in just a few moments, the automatic doors will open and you will proceed to the excess demonstration area. Please stand clear of the doors until they are fully open. Thank you and have a pleasant stay here at the Tomorrowland Interplanetary Convention Center. So, uh, so we go through the doors and we see two clear cylinders on either side of the room. And there's a dial up at the top of the cylinders with the words Series 1000 on there. And as the cast member documents pointed out, that we're, we're looking at the Series 2000 transporter model. The one inside, although we are never told this, is the Series 10,000. So we're... <laughs> So this is like the baby version, and then of course you're going to be moving on to the big version later on. Uh, inside the chamber to the left is a small, cute little alien creature. Um, he's not referred to by name in this version of the show, but in the cast member stuff, and in all the press, every newspaper article, burn bombs, everyone calls knows him as Skippy. So at this point, I don't know why... The audience doesn't know that this is Skippy, and we'll never know that it's Skippy until the second version, but everybody else in the world knows <laughs> that this is Skippy, apparently. <laughs> um, and here's the lore lost from the cast member documents that perhaps no one has heard of in the last 26 years. Um, so Skippy is short for Skippy Can Throw Us... Oh, sorry. Skippy is short for Skippy Can Morinicus. And its species is the Fluthmugen Cliffhuggerum. Uh, which the sheet says are not very smart animals, making them an ideal species and willing participant. So, so there, so there we have the both the scientific and species name of Skippy, which has been lost to history until perhaps this moment. Um, there is a robot in the center between these two chambers, um, and he is going over uh, the actual procedures of how to do the demonstration in his book as people come in and he welcomes you in uh the press stories and the cast member documents refer to him as tom 2000 which stands for series 2000 techno rob techno robotic oratorical system and again this name is not ever used in the show so they have gone through the trouble of naming him and putting this information out in the press but he never introduces himself as such uh at all. So it's fascinating to me that they would actually go through that work for, I don't know, no reason. Um, in this version, he is voiced by Phil Hartman. Uh, and he does a really great job with this script. Welcome to the great big universe of XS. I'm the XS2000 Technobotic Presentation Unit, programmed to show you how to seize the future. Now you're probably asking, what could the galaxy's leader in sophisticated consumer technology possibly do for me? Well, how would you like to travel anywhere, anytime, at the touch of a button? Science fiction? Science fact. It's very lighthearted, too. It's uh, it is. He cheeky makes a lot of mistakes. in a way, yeah. Yeah, it's like ha half of it is like, you know, used to pre-shows being very exposition heavy. And, and half of this is like him looking stuff up. To try to try to figure out what to do next, which is kind of interesting. Very different for a Disney pre-show. Um, he is more or less a stock animatronic figure, dressed with a few plastic chess pieces, uh, a bow tie, and a bike helmet. Um, although he did have really intricate and interesting like eyes. So he had this kind of like glass visor across the front, and they shot lasers 
in the front of it and animated the lasers just like the animated lasers in um, Journey to Into Imagination where the dancers came out. So he had kind of like laser eyes that were animated and could move, which was which was pretty neat and kind of different. I think that was maybe the first time they had used that. So uh, Tom goes and tells us about the wonders of excess technology uh, and begins the teleportation process of Skippy. So uh, the robot detects interference in the transmission when it's part of the way over. And his solution is to boost the power. So then when the alien arrives on the other side of the chamber, he is burnt and smoking. Uh, so that's kind of how Skippy gets fried in this version. And then he checks the manual again to see what to do. As, and as he's telling us that we can move on to the next area to, uh, to experience the excess teleportation personally, he accidentally turns himself off and the whole rest of the demonstration area and the alien is just left in the tube making little chirping noises and we walk off into the, the next place. So as you said, it is much more lighthearted. It is not evil. And kind of the idea I think they are trying to give is that, you know, excess is not necessarily an evil corporation. They're just kind of run by inept people. That yeah, make they, a lot they don't of have everything. They don't have everything together yet. So prep yourself for something that may not go right you go quite right exactly exactly um so the disembodied female voice reminds us to move into the next demonstration area and we walk to our right into a hallway that has a much much darker tone and now we are fully enveloped into that alien deco style and there do you think how that you know i've read some articles that this might have been a bit of an abrupt change that caused some of the confusion to going from this lighthearted to a very dark and serious different tone oh, oh for sure and like i it think it got confusing right i think we'll we'll talk about that when we get to the second version and then we can then specifically okay. talk why the tonal shift was there just put me on mute that's fine. for sure no um see i thought that second hallway after you left it that's when i was still thinking this is still alien it got dark i felt like i was kind of on nostromo you know at 12 years old i'm like this is weird what's happening where am i going yeah it was it was weird there are a bunch of cables running from the ceiling like the lighting fixture in the middle down to the end and there was uh this thing at the end of the hallway which was marked as being a a service elevator by the way a lot of service elevators in imagineering shows in 1994 between tower of terror and this service elevators must have been hot and then there's there was just like a bunch of al- more of this alien power equipment with stuff plugged in so you're getting the idea that there's just these cables everywhere and stuff is jacked into this to make this all work um and one of the things that i noticed right away when i went in is the sound so as you walked down that hallway, there was kind of like this weird ro- low rumble. Yeah, like a just lot- a woofer is just on just a smidge or something. Yeah. And, a big and, woofer. And some definitely like weird room chamber noises that were kind of disquieting. So it was a really great effect. How um, did you record any of this? I did, you know what? That's the wimp. I, I probably have caught a, a little bit somewhere in walking between those hallways. Because okay. I, rec- I did record this first version in binaural from start to finish. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's what? a this revelation. Is, this is, yeah, this is big news. This is, he and his styrofoam head. Me and the styrofoam head, yeah. Did the head get its own? <laughs> yeah, did it get it its, its own, own seat? It did, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Is that one of the tapes I converted last year? Um, no, that one was done digitally, so okay. it's it's very clean. And what? That, yeah, and that I had that on my Kingdom Memory site, but it'll be repackaged for Retro WW, and everybody can hear this. Well, I think what we need here is I'm going to put a call out to everybody is that we need some super clean alien encounter footage. Is it original or second show? This second is the first show. All right, original. so this is this is the tough part, right? We don't have a lot of footage from the first show, so we might have to piece alien encounter revisited or maybe alien encounter revisited just becomes an audio attraction yeah it should be well yeah, yeah you can turn off you turn off your own lights and you so, know yeah. have your and kids scream somebody to breathe on your neck yeah, yeah get, get somebody, somebody to, to shoot a water pistol at you i mean i don't want to jump ahead on the uh on on the on the description of the attraction but you're, you're talking about the the wires and all and the rumble and kind of how far they've come since the star tours um you know the space theming as you as you enter Star Tours is very Buck Rogers is like Star Wars the motion or Star Trek the motion picture, very I don't know like seventies futuristic as you walk through there. I mean they do a great job capturing the Star Wars theming, but there's nothing ominous about it. I mean it's it's whimsical and cute. This is the first one where you're like you're stepping onto like an, an abandoned spaceship. Like what what's going on here with the, with all the stuff floating around you? And it is the the attraction is the apex of the shooting water at you and shooting <laughs> hot air things at you. That's true. And like this is this is the point where it reached the top of the mountain. Yeah, and the other. Uh... I think you, if you were a Star Trek fan, I think you might have gotten kind of like a Borg feeling from this too, potentially. Or Klingon, yeah. yeah. They, yes, they, Klingon very much, for sure. The, very much the the two of them. But but if you remember, like late, all, especially when they opened the Hollywood Studios, MGM, uh, you know, Muppet shot water at you, and and uh, the Voyage of the Little Mermaid, and everything shot things at you, and uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, and. I, and and I always felt like Alien Encounter was like they. This is the most we can do with this technology. <laughs> well, they did it good too, where it wasn't a gag. Like it was like you know, well, it, right? It fit in perfectly with each thing. Like, what's the thing that hit your ankles on it? In which we'll talk about. But like, it's like what, what was that? Oh, like, that, the that right was exam- in that was in uh, Honey I Shrunk the Audience, where the rats come out. There's yeah. something that hits your legs in this one oh, too. Was isn't there? It? Okay. Or it, maybe it's only in Stitch. I well, don't know. But. Maybe it was just your leg, and it was the actual alien. <laughs> The, well, and here's something. This, this, a lot of this moves really fast. So I want you guys to jump in with what you remember because you know this was 30 years ago. So I, I can't remember every single solitary effect that happened sure. in the theater. So please, as, as if you guys remember stuff, jump in. Same thing with the audience. If if you think we left out something, please write to us and let us know because I, a lot of it happened so quickly, it's hard to remember everything in context. Um. So you you turn the corner and you either go left or right, depending on which, you know, theater, which they called chambers, was open. And you could walk into this, you know, 140 seat theater in the round, which was 120 guests plus four wheelchairs and four companions. So I guess there was wheelchair access at the top level for this. So which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, it looks spooky. It was way spookier than Mission to Mars ever did. Because there were, you know, all, all the seats with the restrained things like two feet over their head. And then there were things that looked like power stuff up in the ceiling and this glass chamber in the middle. And the lighting was, you know, very dark. 
Um, it had leftovers too from a previous show, like a little fog, a little bit of the smell. Oh you yeah, know, yeah. Like you, you kind of just you know walking into a haunted house like that. Right, or an old or an old Seven Eleven when it was the Stitch attraction because it smelled like chili dog. That is true. Uh, so they would have you come in, take your seat, and then you just sat there, and then the the pre show would kind of come up on monitors, you know, you know that were on the side, and they would introduce you to Doctor Femus and Spinlock, who are the two characters that will take you through most of the show. Uh, Doctor Femus was Kathy and Jimmy. From Hocus Pocus and Sister Act for Disney. Spinlock was Kevin Pollock, who was coming off of uh, A Few Good Men, Wayne's World 2, and Grumpy Old Men. So how's that for a, That's a little a bit of wide back variety right there. Huh? Yeah, it, it would be next, the year after this came out, that he would be in uh, The Usual Suspects. So I'm not sure... I, that Kathy and Jimmy, I see, is very like, hey, she's funny. We've she's done two movies for Disney. She's going to be great. I would really fascinated to understand what the casting process was for Kevin Pollock, although he is everyone actually in the show is awesome in their role. Yeah, he, this whole thing is so good, and and you know, it's the writing on this, the acting, it it's really perfection. You know, there there are some places where I. I think a lot of us can agree that the show falls short, but the the filmed portion of this was absolutely not one of them. Uh, it, yeah. it was a knockout. Um, we find out that Spinlock was in charge of corporate communications, and really his his whole thing is he just wants to put on a good show and make Clench happy. Femus is the scientist. Her concern is really that the equipment isn't ready to do a demonstration like this, and she's just trying to like keep it all together and try to get through it. So... We kind of set up the story there. Uh, Femus says that she needs to scan the audience to see what human will be compatible with their system. So the show kind of stops <laughs> for a second. A, a real live cast members come on and they give you um, they would give you information about like, okay, the thing's gonna come down. You would all sit there and and I don't know about you guys' experience, but sometimes it took two, three times to get everybody seated as yeah. the yeah. thing. So that was kind of a pace killer from a show presentation standpoint. And, and really, these these big things came down. I mean, other than other than just the effects, that's all they really did. I mean, that you know, the the things were behind you, the ear, the yeah. mic, the speakers. It was to keep and... people from getting up during the show and trampling over each other and tripping too. Right? Yeah, really? Well, yeah. Well, now think about it. Two, there are two parts there. What one is they needed it. They needed to have things like the speakers and the yeah. physical effects like in a location that they could count on. But the other thing is this room is pitch dark. Yep. And if someone got up to try to leave in the middle of it, as happened many times on the Mission to Mars, it would probably be somewhat dangerous. Mission so, to Mars was pretty well lit with all the films going on. So you could, yeah. you could easily get up and walk out and not trip. So, them. I mean, there's smoke. There's all kinds of mayhem going on. So I, I, someone should have thought of this idea for the Tiki Room. It would have saved them years ago if they just oh restrained God. everybody from getting Yeah, exactly. That would be great. <laughs> and now <laughs> they come down or, and hold you down. <laughs> or Carousel of Progress where yeah. there's an... There's always an idiot who gets up and tries to leave, right. which stops the show and makes the scene repeat. So, Disney, if you're listening, you, you can have that idea for free. In, uh, Brian, in the 1800s, we wouldn't have seatbelts, so we, we can only do it from, like, 1950s forward, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> I remember, too, sitting on those seats, and I don't think they changed much for Stitch. You sat down, and it, it was either the design was, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but they were so... 
uncomfortable like they weren't something you really like yeah. felt like you could sink into and like enjoy the show it kind of almost puts you on edge and you're like wait this is weird and then here comes this thing to even throw me it almost like little things threw you off as yeah. the show was building up and the and reason it, being is that the, the seats had originally had airbags in them to simulate the gravity and the, the, the going up and down oh. and to, to mission you know to mars or to the moon um, I, I don't recall if they used that they, technology. They had something because some, did they use them in the show? I so because didn't you? They were pretty stiff. Yeah. Or am I thinking of Bugs Life over in Animal Kingdom? Well, but we right, Bugs Life because they used the stingers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the seats I think were much wider than the than the originals. I, I think the capacity in the rooms probably went down somewhat because they, oh, okay. they were they were they were pretty wide. Yeah. yeah. They were, but as I said, they're on an odd angle, and I, I and definitely the restraining thing. I think helps with that claustrophobic feeling to get you kind of in the mindset of like you know something is not right and todd's right you couldn't spring up if you wanted to that's that's the whole thing like uh, things breathing on your neck you're like oh let me get out of here and you can't go anywhere Mm -hmm. and everything was rubbery too like the seat had a weird rubber like almost like a bike handle grip Uh and then the the thing that came down had a rubbery feel to it i remember you know it's like a kid you're just like what the heck is this and you're touching everything because there's no pandemic and you know whatever (laughs) it's just it was just everything felt weird like weird textures all over the place that's true and easy to clean up because it's rubber. yes yeah you could hose it down from a vomit or blood (laughs) that's right (laughs) Uh, so after all of the volunteers which is what we were called as audience members were the volunteers so after the volunteers are properly restrained the show continues finally chairman clench bursts into the control facility uh wanting to change the demonstration at the last moment i've been seized something you ate sir seized with inspiration a new idea we're live right yes very hello everyone i've recalculated our plan you see if if we bring one of you here well (laughs) let's just get to meet one of you however if i'm teleported to earth I can meet all of you, shake each hand, and personally answer all your questions about the wonders of excess. I'll be with you in just a moment. So yeah, how I I, I just did some looking. I looked at a, a an alien encounter and Stitch, as well as uh, Flight to the Moon and Mission to Mars. And uh, the first lower ring has twenty four seats on Mission to Mars, and uh, all the others have twenty four seats in the lower ring. So oh. they were modified, but they did not lose any capacity, from what I can tell. Phew. Which is interesting. Right. Which makes sense. You don't want to, you know, if it was that popular of atta- attraction, if we were right. Gonna... Oh yeah, you need to get as many people in there as yeah. possible. And I think it was about sixteen hundred per hour is what they what they said, I believe. So all right, yeah, the show was only roughly about eight minutes long. So yeah, so you could move people sense. through. Yeah, yep. came in abruptly, stopped it. That's right. Oh yeah. Um. So bo- both Spinlock and Doctor Femus finally are aligned. Uh, on being against the exchange of plans, but Chairman Clench reminds Spinlock that doubt is the rust of a feeble mind, which is a great line and will make a fantastic t-shirt for us. Um, so Dr. Femus begins the process to make the connection with Earth, uh, but Clench's increased irritation and yelling makes Spinlock take hasty action, and Spinlock pulls the lever to commence teleportation uh, too early. Uh, she doesn't She doesn't have a lock on him yet, but he's coming anyways. So the, the large chamber in front of the audience begins to light up and fill with smoke. Uh, and the machine makes ever-loudening sounds. And then finally, when the smoke in the chamber clears, it's empty. And everyone is surprised. So, so Femus determines that there was a planet in the way of the transmission that must have intercepted the signal since she hadn't locked on. So she begins scanning the surface for any life forms. And this takes like 20 or 30 seconds. 
once again, the pressure to take decisive action gets to Spinlock, and he pulls the lever to begin transmission of the life form that they find before he can determine that it's actually the chairman. So the transporter tube in front of us once again comes to life. We got the smoke, all this stuff. But this time when it turns off, there is a 14-foot alien insectoid with glowing eyes inside. And oh my gosh. I know, it's scary. <laughs> So the transporter tube, once again, springs to life in the center of the chamber. But when it turns off, there's a 14-foot alien inside with glowing eyes. Thanks to a very fast and very quiet hydraulic lift that brings the figure up from the basement where the film projectors used to be and and gets it up into the room. Um, After kind of a long pause, the alien starts banging on the tube. The lights go out briefly, and you hear the sound of a glass tube of the glass tube breaking. And when the lights picture him sitting there banging on it, like he just <laughs> let me out. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Uh, when the lights go back on, the tube is shattered. Spinlock tells Femus to transport the alien back. She says she can't with the broken tube, but they try to do it anyways, which overloads the system, and then the room is plunged into complete darkness. There's that word, plunged. We- plunged. <laughs> Which basically means the lights all go out. Yeah. So what's kind of odd and interesting is like, so we've introduced you to Femus and, you know, Chairman Clench and Spinlock. Now we don't hear from them for like the next three and a half minutes. They're... Now we, as, as you should say, now we're going to introduce you to the alien. Yeah. <laughs> so now the, the point of the narrative switches from them over to the workers that are inside of the science center and a, now you're starting to hear some of the audio, not only in the room, but also through your binaural headphones. And that's really what the gag here is. You're hearing things just like in Sound Station at Disney MGM. It's like you should be hearing stuff in your ears and giving you a false sense of what's going on in the room. And which is why the lights are out, because now this is all the theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. See, but what they're doing here, too, is if you remember, at this point, it was very quiet in the room until something happened to a group or a person or something. And then you'd hear a scream or a shriek or something. It was like, it just sounded like just brrr, powers off and like every pauses, like nothing. So like you, you're just waiting for something right. to happen. Because you, you did have people in the audience who would shriek and just like Oh get, yeah, get well, because this is when like the thing it. would touch your neck or something well, would happen. Well, not even that. It's like, so like the sarcastic people would start screaming just to be smart asses because there was nothing else to do. And there were also some screams built into the, and dialogue yeah. built into the headphone system too, which which we'll talk about. So The most famous was the very end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and that's only in the second. So the first right. version is completely different dialogue going on. So um, the female, a female voice in the control room talks to a maintenance worker over a radio. A flashlight shines down on the audience and the worker calls down to the audience to see how they're doing, explaining that the power generator uh, went out. And now you start to hear some pre- pre-recorded voices that say things like, we're trapped down here. I was gonna say, were people really yelling, or it was all? Well, this at this point it was so like Muppet Vision. So if you if you're a fan of Muppet Vision, and when Bean Bunny, if you're not a fan of Muppet Vision, please stop listening. Yeah. To me. <laughs> no, but so you're saying Sweetums comes out upstairs, right? Is that <laughs> right. <a> alien <laughs> so when when Sweetums is out talking to the audience, there's a couple of piped in voices that say he's over there, and then suddenly mm-hmm. the kids in the audience will start actually pointing and screaming at where Bean Bunny is. Um, I well, they used to do that in the '90s. I don't know if they do that anymore. But no, some of the adults do yeah. too. So so the same thing happened. It's like when there were a couple of screams, and then the fake voice telling you, basically giving you permission to 
say things people started to and it would get quite noisy in the show oh like in the haunted mansion stretch room. yeah for example all those voices are piped in reciting the, the <laughs> spiel uh so the worker would would assure the audience that they would be fine uh, but then you would hear him being killed by the alien and his flashlight would just kind of whip around and then shut off was and, this when you had a he had a camera though too didn't that appear on the screen or this no, is the se- second this, second right, version so this is this is one of the reasons why so in the first version this wasn't even a person with a flashlight this was just you know a light fixture up on the ceiling with a gimbal on it so it could turn around and then it would just kind of it would you could tell because it stayed in one place and it just where the light pointed changed right and then when he was getting eaten it would kind of like whip around in odd ways and then turn off it flash and then they'd splash you with the water and i don't even think they did that at that point and this this is where i'm not i don't believe that effect existed at that time um they don't ever really explain how the alien get, got onto the catwalk, but somehow he got up onto the catwalk. Um, so then the alien drops on the floor, what on what sounds like on the other side of the room, thanks to the you know binaural sound, and you hear two fake guests having a conversation, and one of them is talking about trying to get the worker's radio, which you could hear kind of the radio falling down out of the catwalk after he was killed. Um, but not really, because basically at this point, everyone's just kind of screaming. So most people miss this entire dialogue. Um, he says he's going to get the radio and call for help. A second person tries to stop him. And as he reaches for the radio, he's eaten by the alien. And there's a lady that screams, no, put him down. And you just you hear the crunching bones of the person being eaten. And That's then awesome. Yeah. And then the alien kind of walks around the room closer to you. And I I don't know at that point if they used the subwoofers to kind of make it feel like the floor was bouncing a little bit. But you hear this woman then whisper in your ear. It's right behind you. And, and kind of like this Cindy Lauper-ish Brooklyn-esque <laughs> thing. And of course, as you're sitting there, you're like, wait a minute, we all have these shoulder restraints on. It's like, how could someone get up and whisper in my ear? It's like, that's <laughs> not even possible in this scenario. Don't ruin this for me, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but this is finally when you would get some of those in-chair effects of like the feeling of the hot breath in the alien tongue in your head. And people would scream. I mean, legitimately, they would go nuts. So I got some tech information on that. There was 1,800 watts per channel servo-driven subwoofers. That gave us that low rumble and there were transducers on the seats. And I can only imagine this is probably similar to maybe what they did uh, in Horizons for that, you know, rumble effect, mm. uh, which caused everything upstairs that's not bolted down to vibrate with <laughs> um, the faux alien as well. So that's a good time to mention the Saturday Night Live joke, because when they when they shuttered the, 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 the attraction for a retool to make it scarier. That's right. They had the weekend update. Uh, I think Dennis Miller was doing it then. They said, you know, Disney World is shutting this ride down uh, to make it scarier. So they're removing six bolts. <laughs> <laughs> That's really it. The, the power is restored somehow. And then for no apparent reason, the alien is back into the middle of the tube. Because the power's restored. Because the power, like, I guess... Aliens... Well, how did he get in there? Like, was it just suck him in? <laughs> yeah, we have no idea. So then these, like, big blast doors go down around the tube, and the alien is transported out of the room, and then after a beat, you hear the sound of Chairman Clench yelling, Spinlock! With, like, this Doppler effect as he's being transported into the room. 
And as the show is over and you're getting up and leaving, Clench was left in the tube and he's banging on the banging on the tube to be let out. And you get up and you go into the exit hallway and as this kind of like alien encounter march plays and you go out into the Florida humidity. And that was the show, which left a lot of confusion, I think. And so, Brian, you you saw that version. Did you have any impressions of it that you can recall from back then? I, I, I think we... You know, Rob and I have kind of compared notes. Do we really remember any of it? And part of why we don't is you saw we saw it once uh, in the first couple of weeks that it was open, and you again we went in blind. You didn't know what to expect, so you experienced this, but you kind of walked out of there like, all right, that was kind of cool and scary. <laughs> what just happened? Yeah, like like the the the. I don't know. It just it didn't stick with you. I guess is the best way to to explain it. Yeah, I I, I think the effects worked great, but there were definitely yeah. some kind of plot holes that needed to be filled. There was some. There was, and I I think one of the big things, more so than making it less scary, was trying to make it more clear what was happening. Because there were times, like I said, this this dialogue, the you know, the thing that's supposed to be pushing the plot forward is th- through the binaural audio. And you can't even hear it because once people start screaming, it just like the, there's so much noise just in general that was going on in that room. And then with people talking on top of it and then, you know, bored people were talking and then kids right. were screaming like you just couldn't tell what the heck was going on. And and again, the retool made so much more of what was happening clear. Like say, when the guy gets eaten you're there's a lot left of inference there whereas when they retool it you see the monster yes exactly bite, swallow him like it's uh, through through a right video camera you know, so so a, let's talk about version two and kind of what yeah. changed and and i think it'll be very clear why this version only lasted until uh you know mi- middle of january and then was shut down bruce, bruce willis and arnold schwarzenegger said we have to fix this yeah <laughs> i'll be back <laughs> um welcome to the party <laughs> we could just do bruce willis and arnold schwarzenegger lines all night yippee Kaye. stallone there too wasn't he he was yeah i must break you no that was <laughs> ivan drago that sorry. was ivan drago <laughs> he wasn't there was I he still, there he i still been. want stallone to break the ride yeah. for version two that's what i was going <laughs> with <sighs> so version two uh the pre-show was pretty much exactly the same they, did, they didn't mess around with any of that because Standing in a room, I guess, was still fine. Um, as as he moved on to the demonstration area where the Phil Hartman robot was, they they made some significant, you know, I would say minor but significant changes. So the tube on the left is now actually marked receiver in big letters, and the tube on the right is marked transmitter. So you, it's very clear, like, oh, okay, this is going from here. Uh, there's a receiver, there's a transmitter. And for some reason, they moved Skippy from the left-hand side to the right hand side so um i don't know exactly why it's i don't know if there was like a if he was more visible on that side than on the other one but they actually switched the positions of the animatronics which i thought was interesting um tom 2000 is now replaced by sir we have the xs series 1000 
the first in a complete line of personal and commercial teleportation systems capable of sending bright biological life forms like yourselves and even lower life forms like Skippy from one place to another instantly. Which stands for, and he actually tells us this, thank God, Simulated Intelligence Robotics. <laughs> who is played in a much more sinister manner by Tim Curry. Although I have this feeling that the entire reason they named that is just so the robot could say, and you can call me, sir. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I can't believe they got rid of Phil Hartman completely. Like this, he did that whole thing and then just done. Yep, they totally took it out. And, and yeah, if you're looking to make the, the attraction a little more ominous, uh, he was a little too lighthearted, I think. Yeah, and yeah. F- from what my understanding is, some of the feedback, which I think Todd kind of, uh, you know, alluded to, was that there was a big disconnect between the pre the, the waiting room, which had a bunch of jokes on the TVs, and then this room, which had a bunch of jokes, and then you get into the third room, and it's like scary as all get out. And even though they had put tons of signs outside warning parents, you know, that this is not for little kids. We know how well everyone reads when they go to Disney World. So there were still, you know, small children there that that were probably terrified because it was pretty scary. Um, so unlike the bumbling Tom 2000, Sir seems to actually take great pleasure in causing pain to Skippy, who he actually refers to by name. So we actually, they say Skippy, which is great. And one of the points is like after Sir teleport skippy away from you know his his one side actually takes great pride in being able to pause the teleportation process which kind of leaves skippy's fate in jeopardy for a little while so he's he's a little mean this guy and then when skippy arrives in the receiving chamber being burnt sir's actually kind of happy about that so it's definitely more of a darker tone there um and then as we go into the main show there are uh a couple well i'd say there were just a handful of changes that tried to tighten things up and make it a lot more clear what was going on so for example um you know you walked in you got seated i think they tried to make the seating process maybe a little bit faster um but things like when clench is being transported there's now a graphic on the wall of him actually kind of dissolving from the bottom up whereas before there was just this kind of flashing sign that said teleportation in progress so they did a lot more think kind of telegraphing what was going on um to you um they realize that the chairman doesn't transport in way faster and they pull in the alien from the other planet with very minimal delay so while there was this kind of like one minute sequence of them losing him and then find like they cut that down to 15 seconds and just kept the show really moving um and then when the alien is beamed into the room there's additional exposition between Spinlock and Femus, which I think they just recorded as voice afterwards, that establishes that the alien has wings, so you know he can fly, and they tell you that he's a carnivore, so you know that he'll eat people, and now you have a reason right away to perhaps be scared. And then also there was a graphic on the on the side that kind of showed his face, so you saw the glowing eyes and the big teeth right away, so you're like, oh, that's an alien, and that's what it looks like. And that's the thing in the tube. So I think that helped a lot. Um, now, for in-theater effects, here's a good example of, of why I think this is one of the best ones. So when the glass breaks now and the alien gets out, they actually spray the audience with water to feel like little shards of glass coming out. 
which was a really good effect. Yeah. This might have been the first attraction that, that, that like blatantly squirted you in the face. Yes. <laughs> with water. Yes. Um, that could be. At least the first Disney one, because you know, Universal's forever shooting you in the face with stuff, but maybe maybe the first one for Disney. Um they they added the plot point of a force field being activated to hold the creature inside. But the creature overcomes the force field, and then that's what causes the feedback, which causes all of the power to go out. And then you hear flapping wings kind of flapping around the room, and they actually installed additional speakers and more equipment in here between shows to try to make all this stuff happen. See, it, and the flapping is very pronounced; like you, you know, if yeah, it's a hundred percent sounds like insectoid yeah. flapping noises. Um, and now, Todd, we get into the change in the maintenance worker. Mm -hmm. So uh, they turned the, the little light on the gimbal to a real live cast member who had a job to walk into the room and be a part of the show. Um, so the maintenance worker carrying the flashlight is a real person up on a catwalk. Um, but as part of the gag, there is a quote unquote live feed from that person's helmet cam, which is also displaying on the wall where uh where you saw the video of like dr femus and spinlock before so you can kind of see the point of view of this helmet cam of of what the worker sees um so uh what's funny is there's a point where he kind of calls down to the people and any you know you, you see the camera like point of view of looking down at the audience so so the cast member actually has a hat with like a red light on it and they have to actually bend over and look down at the same time that that's happening up on the screen to keep that illusion going. Um, so uh, during the during the story, it's like the the control person is telling the telling the maintenance worker to like go fix something. So you see the cast member briefly, and then they kind of walk off as you're supposed to go down the, to the end of this hallway to fix this thing. And the camera kind of takes over, and you see the screen, and you see the person find the power plug and plug it back together again, and then. You know, the person says, like, the alien's behind you. And when you, they turn around, it's like, you see a full, like, night vision in red, like, image of the alien. And I I think it was a puppet. <laughs> I think there's some debate over whether it was CGI. I think it was a puppet. But, uh, and it's really funny because the alien does move kind of slow. But, it, like, it does this little, like, frill thing. Like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park where the neck does, like, a... There's like this frilled thing in the back of its head, and then it seems to squirt like a, like a mist, or a smoke at the person, and then it just kind of slowly saunters over and opens up its mouth, and then the tongue is just like in the camera, and it's just kind of like licking the camera, <laughs> <laughs> to give you, you know, so that way we have commu clearly communicated like this is what the alien looks like. It's like it has a tongue, it's go, you know, it's gonna lick you before it eats you, and then. Uh, and then it does kill that person. And then finally, it's like, you know, the water comes down from the ceiling for the blood and like squirts everybody. And, uh, you know, that's everybody jumps. And then that's there's a lot of carrying on at that point. So that was a good change. That was a really good change. Um, let's see what else. Oh, so now when the alien is kind of jumping around on the floor, they actually use the shoulder restraints and start bouncing them up and down. So you are kind of also getting the feeling of like supposedly like the alien is sitting on your shoulders or at least putting maybe one of their little mandibles on you. Um, while well, I feel like it did that and it, it that's when you'd get some hot breath maybe yep. or the, the mm -hmm. sound near you like they combined that effect with something else. Yeah. 
so that I think really also uh, gave you more of that feeling. And, th- and then uh, what they did is they, they added this. So like I said before, they, they kind of stopped working with Spinlock and Dr. Femus. Well, now they're included the entire time. And th- uh, Spinlock is kind of telling people to stop yelling because the alien is attracted to the yelling. So then Femus gets the idea of like, oh, I'll project my voice from the center chamber if everyone's quiet. So I'll yell from there and then that will draw the alien back into the center chamber. So you you hear her, of course, this is all in the dark still. So you you hear her talking about that. And then her scream comes from the center. And then when the lights kind of come back on, boom lo and behold the alien is in the middle of the chamber again or surrounded by broken glass still for some reason but at least you know like why it's supposed to be back in there and then uh they can't transport it back so what they decide to do is blow it up so they kind of like amp up the power and drop the shield and when they do that like this is when the water really squirts out on everybody. It's like you get the the idea is that like they have blown up the alien in the chamber and everybody is covered with alien guts. And that's well, when like somebody in the audience says, "I think you did, did you know the line, JT? Is this the mother-in-law? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. No, that's not, be- that is not the mother-in-law. No, <laughs> blown up. That is what I forgot. Is like when the alien first. There are hecklers in this show for some reason. Yes. So when the alien first appears, someone shouts. Uh, when dr femus says it's an alien someone says it's my mother-in-law looks like my mother-in-law or something <laughs> yeah. Like that. yeah which is crazy and and but... then at the end wasn't it, i had my mouth open yes. yeah. Ew, yeah i had my mouth open. and that was too like i think they did an air and water like blast like it was like i felt like a big you know uh-huh. explosion feel the best they could make it at least yeah for... and it was great and that really changed the tone of the entire ride there because, you know, because it went from being scary and just having this kind of neutral ending to having a very positive, you know, laughing, funny ending to the point where when the doors open and you left, they added the, the tagline, what a way to go to the wall <laughs> outside is a jokey joke. Um, but yeah, it, so with this version it solves all the problems of of explaining kind of what has to happen and then it, it makes it i think it really ends on a climax instead of being anticlimactic um so todd right you're not you're not confused walking out of there right you're like and, hey and that it, was fun and it, right well that's yeah. the whole thing after having been terrified uh they have these jokes and this lightheartedness at the end that kind of makes you come out of there going <laughs> wasn't it funny how scared we were yeah it's like the end of yeah. jaws where they blow up the the shark and everybody's <laughs> like shark. super happy I, th- I thought it was interesting too the that with the jokes in that it it, it basically it, it took it like you just said like it was very scary but it, you know watching it at the time the the first time i saw it it was basically i didn't no, those were canned. I thought they were real, like people saying that. Because, and if you're one of those people that don't go back to Disney, like you know us lunatics do every year and do the same thing every single year and every whatever, um, you, you just think that's what people said, you know? Like, I was, why? Well, there's a really funny guy up front there. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was. There were some interesting choices, I think, in in the dialogue in there. Because, like the mother-in-law joke, I'm like. Hmm. You could either find that really funny or find it really unfunny. So unless you're the mother-in-law, yeah. If you have the mother-in-law, you're probably furious. Mother-in-law <laughs> jokes. I mean, my gosh, that's that was a staple of the '50s and '60s. But like those jokes kind of died out by the '70s, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. So, 
um todd what are some of the memories that you have of the show i i saw it in its second incarnation so um, i never saw the original um you know i remember i don't want to say being disappointed but i certainly think that when i went on it i, I was expecting more um I thought the all the effects were great. You know, I thought that, you know, I'm sure I laughed. And I remember walking out and looking at all the water on the floor, you know, it, it, from a day worth of water. Although the, the television commercials led you to believe that it would be giant pieces of goo falling on you. So, yes, we, <laughs> it was a little bit of disappointment. We need to talk about there. the TV commercials because they were very uh, sensationalized. Enhanced. Yes, yes. The tentacle flopping over the, the yeah the exactly mesh cap yeah and people are just like whipping their eyes around oh my god and their hands and they don't flop. show the shoulder restraints in the commercial Those, no that's not there it's just people hanging it's like the Tower of Terror one was the same thing they show oh, yeah. a bunch of kids getting onto a, a a rickety elevator and it just drops there's no seats yep. right no safety belts well yeah. okay, it doesn't let's... rock it also doesn't rock back and forth like on the sign on World Drive <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true that jiggling to the no well as long as let's start talking about that then because yes i i think the tv ads and those also end up at the end of the regis philbin special i think some of that footage yeah. was used and then also in the television special that we'll talk about that kind of debuted this it's like they used the heck out of that footage and i and on the one hand i understand that most of this ride takes place in the dark and it's all done with sound so for a television commercial, you have to visually yeah, represent, you, you know, showing people sitting in a restraint, like in a dark room is not great television. No. So they had to do things, like you said, of like showing the goo dripping down. But like they went to such an extreme, like the goo would drip down and then smoke would come off of it like it was melting its way through the. Yeah, like alien. Like alien. And then, like you said, the they big... show the glass like protruding out to the audience, like you know everybody got hit with shards. Yeah, of glass Yeah, and on the big ride. the big floppy tentacle is the funniest one to me because like that creature doesn't have a big floppy tentacle at all. Like it looked like they just bought a, a, an octopus at the, you know the, the, the market and flopped its <laughs> throw it. Or they had it left over from twenty thousand leagues. That's Maybe. right. Yes. Throw or a little seaweed seas. in there. You never know. Nobody. Will but they had like claws. They had puppet claws. They had all these yep. things going on in that television that made it look like not nothing at all, like it really was. I think all, it, all it, I can tell you is I bought a lot of GI Joe and Transformer play sets, and they were never like the desert sets that you had on the commercials or. <laughs> These kids are always like playing in a spaceship when they're playing this. They're like when I play it in my living room, it doesn't look like. They had like a mini lake with sand. And, yeah, 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 yeah. They, uh, I remember too. They, they'd take that commercial and they would do a. a it seems like every time you saw it, it got a little shorter on the the resort TV. You know, it was like a little longer. You know, then all of a sudden it's like now meet the alien. Show the tentacle flop, and they're like on to fantasy land. It just really <laughs> got shorter and shorter over the years. Yeah, there were a number of different specials that they did. I mean, the, the, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Regis Philbin, there was one with him and, you know, similar to the Tower of Tower one where it's, you know, oh, I don't know where I'm going. And, you know, he's edited in and blue screened over and all that stuff, which is, you know, I think people got a got a kick out of that one. I like um, how he comes out with his clothes all ripped up. Yeah. yeah at like the he, end of that segment. <laughs> I mean, that's typ typical Regis, right? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh! There were a couple other commercials as we talked about. I I, I think we do need to mention the the, the, the oddest of them all, which was uh, aired in uh, March nineteen ninety five. So what's interesting is that this is between, right? This is we're shut down now between number one and number two, and 
Disney decided to air this, and uh, yeah, contrary to popular belief, they do acknowledge that it did air. It's on D23's page, so you know, people will tell you that this is banned. It's not. Um, but they produced this uh, this show called Alien Encounters from New Tomorrowland, um, which the first two minutes of Michael Eisner trying to get, quote-unquote, into the park or into this hello. UFO facility. Yeah, hello. I'm Michael Eisner. <laughs> <laughs> and these, you know, all these guys with guns, you know, preventing him from going over the barrier. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, and then... Is this in Tomorrowland? They have no, it, it looks like no, it's done in the back It looks like it's shot on the studio back Yeah, it's oh, just the studio okay, lot. Because okay. he didn't even go to Florida for this. And then Robert Ulrich takes over and takes us through this entire ufo where you know he's talking about documents are going to be released and people give their accounts of being raped and that this is coming i mean this is what yeah oh it's it's terrible um and all the stuff that the government's withholding information they really are out there and what what's interesting is you can't judge from it whether or not they were poking fun at it or trying to be serious or of course there's conspiracy theorists out there that believe that you know disney's been in bed with the government for years and this is there there's a whole you know all this stuff um and robert ulrich comes on a couple times and he's meandering through the park and at the end you get like a 45 second glimpse which is pretty much the commercials that you already saw it is a weird and wacky special you can find it on youtube um it's oh. definitely, definitely there alien count alien encounters from new tomorrowland and what's really weird is, well, this is how we found it. It was in a family back in, in 2016 or something. There, there, was, there was artwork done on this show. An artist did a poster for it in 2016. And then what's really even weirder is that there was a UFO convention and they got together and re- played this repeat. And there's been online broadcasts of this show to UFO followers. Well, and that's where that's where that's the lynch point. So if you remember last month, Brian acquired for us like a packet of information from uh, from Walt Disney World during the opening of New Tomorrowland. There was actually a UFO convention called MUFON, right? That was uh, that was held there. And I and I think we will find that the people that were interviewed on the show were probably the participants of this convention. So this was a tie in between the convention and uh, and New Tomorrowland and gave them basically 40 minutes of programming to go along with, you know, the four minutes of the attraction they could show. And we've always joked about some of the, uh, you know, special television specials, but this one just didn't have that same Disney feel to it. No, no. And it was, it was produced, I looked it up the other day. It was, it was produced by someone that produced sort of conspiracy theory-ish other videos no. know, like Bigfoot stuff so it was definitely kind of in that person's wheelhouse yep it was not you know the Disney entertainment <laughs> that that we would be used to but that's that's why it was all a tie-in between this convention and it gave them it, and, and it is par it's par for the course though with this was a very different kind of attraction for them they were in, for lack of a better expression, kind of uncharted territory mm. for them. And they were trying edgy new things in their approach, uh, both in how they promoted it and what the actual content of the attraction was. Um, you know, and then we'll touch on the, the marketing of souvenirs and other things, too, 
from the attraction uh, was kind of a different approach for a a new attraction to have so much stuff available for it right. that wasn't tied to an existing IP like a Muppets type thing is. Well, let's talk about a little bit of the uh, the marketing that went along with it. Obviously, there was a lot of ramp up, um, you know, marketing to the fact that I, I went to newspaper.com um, and we have a subscription now to this so that we can do all sorts of great research on newspapers because I was even able to find the broadcast dates for some of this stuff that we've been looking looking at. So, um, you know, there was a lot of positivity given to the attraction. I would say, you know, when I read these headlines, it doesn't sound that way, but fixing the future, Disney's new and improved alien counter show set to open in June. It's a scary world after all. Um, retooled Disney ride worth the wait. And the one I think we'll get into next month is uh, brouhaha over ride may be stunt. <laughs> I thought was I thought was interesting, um, you know, to to you know garner some attraction. Uh, again, we'll dive into these a little more. Oh, here's another one: Disney heightens thrill level in, in Orlando, um, and uh, and then I love the last one here: Run Stitch recycled ride to be your fate when they announced the closure. So um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to see the PR that went with it. Um, certainly, a lot of these are taken from the AP news press releases and different things like that. Um, but there was a lot of positivity in these articles about the rehash and, and what they did that, you know, would be fun and exciting and, and scary. But um, to your point, how earlier we're, we're, you know, you exited, we all exit to gift shops now, but this is one of the earlier ones where you really exited a gift shop. So um, there was a lot of merchandise. I mean, pushing characters, pushing Skippy. Skippy was was it? Everybody wanted which to go. Which was home funny. With Skippy. The, the pre-show Skippy, yeah, uh, which was sold in three or four different sizes. I have the smaller size one here now. Oh, he's a pretty they, good size there in front of you, though. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, next to my head, you can see. Oh, okay, he's not small, that big. You know, he's not he's not that big. Uh, Did you get but, that back then, or is this you bought after? No, no, this is actually a recent a recent addition to oh, my cool. menagerie. I don't really collect plushes, but. When this one kind of dropped into my lap uh, recently, I said, I'm going to keep this one. Uh, but, yeah, so they, Skippy from the pre-show was was omnipresent there. They, they, didn't they do a fanny pack, too? Yeah, it yeah, looked oh, like yeah. a plush with a, you know, you wore it around your, your waist okay. there with a zippered back, you know, you got inside of him. And Skippy held your, your, your valuables. Your, your cell phone <laughs> of the day. Your, your CD the, player, he would Yeah, hold. there were watches and... Uh, what'd you say? Rubber puppets? Yeah, right I had a, I had bought one of those Skippy rubber puppets, is, <laughs> and I have a picture of me on Splash Mountain with it. Is that like is that like Triumph the insult? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, actually, exactly. it's very it's much like, like that. We should do awesome. Skippy. Yeah, um, they, they also had and uh, at Animal Kingdom. That's remember they had those like rubbery dinosaurs. It's that same. Oh, yeah. Yes. So it was that same thing. It was like pretty stiff rubber but you could put your hand up and kind of articulate the mouth and then there was also a rubber version of the the bad alien that you could buy oh yeah and let's see there were buttons keychains you know all the usual tchotchkes that you would have with any attraction t-shirts talk about the tagline that you uh you mentioned with the the playoff of the no fear shirts of yeah. the 90s so at at that time you know early 90s through the mid 90s there was a brand called no fear that was huge and you would you'd walk around the park and you would see tons of kids you know muscle shirts that say no fear yeah and and, and there were all like these that. other like variations on it 
like besides just the no fear, they later on would would go these things with like eyes kind of in a stripe across the top, and it would would have some kind of saying. I think I've got some example. Hang on, let me find an example here. Um, but what was interesting is like Disney did full on parodies of the this entire no fear campaign with shirts and hats and all kinds of other stuff that said have fear so it especially cracks me up as we are constantly you know being like you guys are ripping off disney and you're making they like they did the same thing they <laughs> they were stealing somebody else's intellectual property and, and it was even in that same uh, you know aggressive font like extreme yeah yeah and that's really what the yeah the no fear thing was like all kind of extreme sports uh was was kind of the thing that started but it was so funny uh but they sold a lot of those t-shirts that was a very very popular item um now, now did the pin with the alien leg piece did that come before or after that was that was much after that was after. like the ending of yeah. it after it all so in 2006 they produced a pieces of history pin that had a chunk of the alien you know animatronic supposedly inside of it which i, I think that was probably a big seller um, and then later they did some vitalmation too. It's we, gone we, but not forgotten. Yeah, we should mention a little bit about the closure. Um, and the 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 main driver was two things. I think in retrospect, one of the issues with that attraction, and we could probably identify a few others over the years, uh, there wasn't a great rewritability with it. Like once you know what's going to happen, mm. uh, the 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 biggest attraction for that ride is the scare. And there's no scare when there's no variation in that experience. The alien's going to breathe on you at the exact same time. Every single time you ride, (laughs) it's going to explode the exact same time. Every time the dialogue being hollered by the fake people is going to be the same every time. And uh, one of the, if, if you remember when they, when they changed up, uh, Tower of Terror, which was not too many years after it opened, they went to the random drops, and that was like a big deal. Right. Uh, well, well, Tower of Terror changed a few times. I remember, like the second time I wrote it, it was like you get two drops this time, right. and then it, you know for the the 25th well, anniversary they did something, and then the 13th it, anniversary. Even and, look at Star whole, Tours, right? That got boring right. after a while. They did right. the same. Thing. So they they added the different experience. So that's the whole thing is that, and I. I mean, I get that you say, oh, you ride Peter Pan or you ride Little Mermaid. It's the exact same every time. It's not out to do something, though. It's not. Right. I think it's different when it is a it is a a sensory experience ride uh, or attraction. And And so this just missed that, too. If they could have, like, hung on a little longer and made it where it was like different every time, different stairs every time. I, I, I think one of the other problems and I think we talked about this when we did Timekeeper and uh, Mission to Mars and the physical location of those two theater attractions um, is a small footprint and it's too small to put a moving attraction in, uh, uh, something with a ride vehicle. So you're hemmed into what can we do with this space uh, that, you know, works and it really does seem like just a, succession of things they solved the problem in monsters inc by having live actors uh and laugh floor who can vary the show every time you see it so there's 
an interesting thing there. But as you know, using live live people to voice his characters is expensive because they have to pay those people uh, as equity performers plus have the ride staffed. Uh, you know, and Stitch, they had hit on a, a hit uh, at, for the time. It was one of their, I think it was their most successful animated film in a long time, especially from the marketing standpoint and that they were selling a ton of Stitch merchandise. So it became a natural to let's take this now stale thrill attraction uh, that doesn't thrill anybody anymore. In fact, I think they used to close it seasonally by the time they got to the point where they closed it uh, to retool it for Stitch, that it was only open during the busy season, uh, which is the same fate ultimately suffered by Stitch. (laughs) Uh, But they put the Stitch in, which the Stitch attraction, you know, again, it was what it was. It had a terrific animatronic uh, for, for, for Stitch in there, which made it worth seeing. But the whole place smelled like chili dogs yeah. uh, after a couple of years, and you just never got rid of that stench, which I always thought took away from the attraction yeah. long term. Well, it, it, you know, it lasted, uh, it lasted eight years, which, yep. which is not bad. Nope. The entirety of, tomorrow, of New Tomorrowland supposedly cost somewhere about $100 million dollars. Mm-hmm. And I think it costs them another six million when they retooled Alien Encounter the second time. So they had probably gotten their money's worth out of it. Um, and since Leo and Stitch came out in 2002, hugely popular, tons of merchandise. You know, in 2003, there was also a slight problem with Jeffrey Jones being caught up in a pedophile sting. Um, which 2003 is when they close the attraction. So I don't know if that was part of it or maybe that was just the little extra bit of a tipping point to be like, well, yeah, it might've just been kismet time, but you know, over time a lot, you know, we look at it now and uh, Kathy and Jimmy and Kevin Pollack are still around, Uh, you know, Phil Hartman died and uh, Jeffrey Jones, you can't really have there anymore. And it just kind of became like, I don't know. It's, it's probably the right time to close the books on it and, and do something else with the space. But, I mean, they're at this point with the space now where they're doing nothing with it. Yeah. It's, uh, they're using it as part of a queue or something, aren't they now? Or? I think they had they were doing some or meet and, and greets in there. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah. In, and there are, there are rumors of a new thing going in there, but there seems to be a curse of the, what do you do with these two big round rooms? Well, <laughs> the most interesting proposal I ever saw Uh, Foxy did an article on it years ago and said that one solution would be to connect the two underneath, Mm. underneath the walkway is to actually put a moving attraction in there where you board on one side and exit out the other uh, and and utilize both spaces uh, to put in some kind of moving attraction, uh, which, you know, armchair Imagineer, I'm sure there's 50 reasons why they can't do that. But it seems like if you wanted to put a ride there, that would be a good, good way to do Mm -hmm. it. There's there's a lot of space in there. I, I think one time I looked and I tried to see if you could fit uh, uh, mission sorry mission space in there, and you could fit two of those turntables. Oh in, wow! Inside of there, I don't really think anybody wants to recreate mission <laughs> space anyway. <laughs> that's I mean, that's it, that's it, another is, one. What is, do we do with it now? You know? Well, I mean, is there a less? I mean, that, I I for me that's a, now I do prefer the new version, although I miss Gary Sinise. I like the experience in the new version, uh, but I seldom ride it. I mean, I just, I, I, it's just one of those things where if I can walk onto it, I uh, onto the green side, I'll do it. But 
I don't want to feel like I'm getting sick or being tossed around or any of that. And I just, I guess that about wraps that up. For I think that that wraps it up. The perfectly. extra terrestrial plunged into darkness. I'm just saying that would be a great place for a treasure planet. Dark. Ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot out there that would agree with you. All right. Well, thank you, Hal and everybody for joining in. Um, how we do have some new, I think we had some new t-shirts you added. Is that right? Yeah, you added the top of the world one, which I oh yeah that's didn't right. even know, which is fantastic. It's a great contemporary. It's really neat because it's a hexagon, and uh, all the facets of the hexagon have the contemporary side profile, which almost looks like you're looking down at a diamond in a way. Which is it, well, that's really that cool. is from one of the menu covers that. Uh, it's a brilliant design. Yeah. It really is. Well, actually, you know, we have some. There's some stories I need to tell about that because please, I, I well, this this will have to get spun into a much longer episode. But over the past two months, I've been in contact with the designer who worked for a company called John Folison Associates, and that company was responsible for doing basically all of the graphic design work for both the Polynesian and the Contemporary hotels. So um, they got the assignment because uh, they had worked. Uh, previously for welton beckett who was the um who was can the you designer. say that again because that was as fun the way you said that. oh welton, welton, welton beckett, beckett. beckett, beckett. <laughs> the, the the designers of every cool thing that ever came out in the mid-century yeah and uh i mean one of the things about welton beckett at that time is if you contracted them to design your hotel they would literally design every single solitary thing in the hotel from the beds to the bedding the tables the furniture the plates, the dishes, like they would either wow. select or custom do things. The menus, I mean, it, they would turnkey everything. You know, if, if you have the restaurant, they would take care of coming up with what the menu should be for you and, and do complete full service. So um, so this this fellow um, had John Folis had worked for them and started up his own firm. And so I think that was the um, and when it, his partners actually also worked on the signs and that system for when they built New Orleans Square in uh, in Disneyland. So mm-hmm. this company, John Fullos and Associates, did all of this fantastic work that we have seen for the contemporary, the menus, you know, the signs, they did the the, the Maui figure that at the Polynesian, they came up with that logo. You know, the, everything that's associated with the the graphics and the outdoor signage that we saw, they they had, I think, I think he told me that they had over 400 pieces of individual things that they had to develop from the wayfinding signs inside the restaurants to the menus to the the packages for the, uh, you know, you know, like the room service stuff. They, yeah, they did yeah. all of all of that. And the, the person I'm in contact with when he was a junior designer out of school, he started with them. Uh, did all of that work. Um, Marty Sklar became very good friends with uh, John Folis and then later on himself. And then he went on to form his own company and he did a lot of work on Pleasure Island and Disney MGM. So I'm looking forward to finding more about his work with them because I think we found a whole new venue here. Well, for this month, we will be I'll be doing a couple of Alien Encounter designs because oh, oh, nice. people are because, you know, People like it. People like like one of the legacies of this though is you know it's interesting if you look back on the press, Todd. You know a, a lot of the uh, 
a lot of the older, you know, who I assume were like older people that would write, you know, the reviews in the newspapers mm-hmm. were very nonplussed about the attraction. Yeah. But the 12 to 16 year olds who wrote that loved it. And that's and where the target was, right? 30. And they They're right, now 30. Which was perfect. And they still love it today. And I see all kinds of fans all over the internet who were just bonkers for alien encounter and still love it and are searching out to try to find all the merchandise and the parts, you know, they're in contact with the director, Jerry Rees and trying to get footage. And, you know, there are, they made a lot of true fans because that really did kind of check the boxes for, you know, for that demographic. And so they, you know, they did a mission accomplished on that one. That's cool. It's one of those ones I'm kind of sad that it's gone because this one would be one, it, call me cruel, I'd love to take my kids on it just when they're at the age of like getting scared. Like it would just be like Haunted Mansion does it for a minute, but not really. This would be just great. To... I'd love for my kids not to be able to sleep the rest of the <laughs> vacation. <laughs> yeah, that's really what we were going for. Yeah. Uh, JT, you had a question about the number one selling shirt, and I do have the information. So uh, we've got the number one selling shirt is the electrical T-shirt. With the dragon for electrical water patch. Electrical water patch. Yep. Number two is Blair's Goat Farm. (laughs) Temporary Goat Farm. That's a good one. Number three is Nunes' Artificial Wave Generation Company. Uh, Number four is Lifeguard, the River Country Lifeguard, which is a big one. That was a big one. Yeah, yeah. And number number five, uh, any guesses? Jungle Cruise. Our very own Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. Oh. Oh. So that is a nice logo. It is. It is. So now we have the flying goal now in, in, in some of our opening videos, too. So speaking of videos, uh, we got a lot that have, has been released. If you have not been watching our YouTube channel, oh, man, we've, we've released plenty. We've got a like lot Like and subscribe. Up. Like and subscribe. Yeah, I, I worked on today upscaling the uh, Disney MGM grand opening with John Ritter uh, to HD. So we're, we're releasing that. Actually, by the time you listen to this, it will be out. I'm going to pop that in YouTube tomorrow. Uh, we have uh, no less than, I think, seven or eight home movies being transferred. We have uh, multiple 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter, all to transfer. In fact, I spoke to the transfer company today, um, and uh, we had some... Uh, interesting news from them earlier this week we bought two films as we told you about the um very early 1967 films for walt disney world and uh the film transfer company sent me an email and said we started scanning the second one and looks to be identical and my heart nearly sank thinking we just spent how much money on these two films and they're identical uh i said no 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 they sh- hopefully the canisters are right they should be two separate films please you know look at it on the viewer and confirm and he wrote me an email back about an hour later saying that oh you're right you're right there are different frames later on in the film it just starts off the same way okay we're good so confirmed we do have um two copies of this film to show you and uh, the 35 millimeters done these all being scanned at 2k and uh I personally invested in a lot of new hardware here and new drive, hard drive space and new processor, new GPU will be coming in soon um, so that we can get these done faster and quicker and more better for everybody to see them. So I'm looking forward to working on these. So files on YouTube, tons of new stuff coming. Um, and also since we last talked, we had our, uh, or did, did, did we talk since we, I can't remember if we did our episode and then did movie night with, uh, Kitchen Cabaret Revisited or the other way around. but I think we did Movie Night after because this is Hal's first podcast on the new oh, hardware. Oh, that's true. So. That's true. That's true. So 
um yeah so movie night if you go catch kitchen cabaret revisited as well on on the youtubes so check that stuff out well as always we'll do another movie night soon because uh I think our colorized uh, broadcast version of Magic of Walt Disney World is bound for a movie night. I, I think it is, and it's a long 57 minutes. we got to figure out how we do that because it includes commercials. Um, oh, well, it's great. That, that the commercials are the best part. Are. We, there's a lot of Oscar Mayer stuff. You better have some bologna <laughs> and right. hot dogs on hand. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting, interesting, gentlemen, the uh, individual who sent us this film um, – informed me too that this actually came from jack wagner's personal collection yeah so which is really really cool that we've got something that came from his collection that we've gotten restored and what it's 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 real to real videotape Mm -hmm. which is pre video pre pre vcrs and and if you didn't have a umatic machine which not many people had because they were really for commercial uses some people had these reel-to-reel video. They were really the only home recording uh, that people had, and you really had to be serious about yeah. having home recording because there weren't commercial products available for right. it. You, it. You had to be someone who wanted to record stuff off of television. It's called the helical scan video. Um, so as Brian pointed out, so it's on a reel. So we sent it away, and they said they had a little bit of trouble with it. They have to sometimes bake mm. these tapes in order to get them so they did what they could um they edited it all together there were no blips that i could see i mean let's be honest the quality this is a black and white footage we'll talk about the colorization in a second um but uh they did what they could to bring it all back as, as best quality as they could i ran it through all of our filters uh i know a lot of you're gonna be oh you could have upconverted hd it's just not enough information it's a very very fuzzy picture um not enough to say you don't know what you're seeing on the screen, but just not enough for the AI to pick up on what it, what's going on. And then we did an experimental process where we ran it through something called Deoldify, um, which uh, is a fun name. And it was originally meant for processing uh, photos and colorizing them. Same concept of our AI interpolation, learning about where people's arms are and where heads are and clothes and trees and bushes and sky and clouds. Um, and it took every single frame of the entire one hour show and ran that color, color, uh, D the oldify process on it. And through artificial intelligence, uh, we stitched it all, it stitched it all back together. And, um, I have to say it adds something. It's certainly a little easier to watch. And then in black and white, because it's the black and white is so soft. Um, it's not perfect by any means, the color shifts, but, uh, it got some of the stuff pretty good. I don't know if you got, how much you, you guys watched it, but it was pretty impressive for, for what it did. I watched the whole thing. It's uh, in color. I mean, I I skip through the <laughs> most of the parts of the show because I've seen it like ten yeah, times. But yeah, I got to all the commercial breaks, and it's an interesting piece because it's not the magic of Walt Disney World that we already know. There was a Space Mountain stuff added because this is po- this was from March nineteen seventy four. So we're talking about something after a little bit after it opened, a little bit after Magic of Walt Disney World came out. So it definitely was a special NBC edit. So. Keep and keep your eyes peeled for our invite for that. So nice. Hey, I have a plug. If you go don't for mind. it. Uh, so I am part of a audio storytelling style podcast. Oh, uh, there you go. I, I have been cast as the, the voice of a animatronic uh, father figure for a telephone company that doesn't exist. Uh, the show is called World of Tomorrow. It's from the producer of Walt's Frozen Head. So if you 
are interested in a in a uh, sort of an audio series. the The concept is that Progress City was actually built, and there are strange things are afoot in the city, including murder and stuff. So there's a detective agency out to solve some things, and I <laughs> murder you <laughs> said. Yes. So I have a small part, and I even get to sing a very Sherman Brothers like song. So if you've oh, ever wow. had fantasies of hearing me sing, which I haven't. Uh, this wonder is your opportunity. Wonder world, wonder <laughs> world, fantasies come true. It's a hoop. That's from Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> That's three. right. That's oh, right. Yeah, they man. wrote that song specifically to. I th- didn't the Shermans write they it? Did. I think the Shermans they wrote it. Yeah. it. yeah. So that's because they they both had cameos in that. Film. Yeah. Nice. So that's uh, prototype world of tomorrow, and you can find it on all the same places where you get this podcast. Look it up. You can want to hear a little bit more and as always we appreciate everybody uh, giving us a shout out on iTunes again I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, if you can support us at retrowdw.com forward slash support us with that said Brian take us out follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV history and on the web at lbvhistory.org follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter Instagram and Facebook at Retro WDW For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen. And on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT. On YouTube at Rubber City Motoring. And on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonprofit, nonpartisan, tax exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Don't forget your keys. Your headlights are on. Thank you.